Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Monday edition of Sports Call, live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy. Today on the show, I've got Tom Peavy and Brant Daughtry with me, as I hope everyone had a great Father's Day weekend this past weekend. Today on the show, of course, we'll take all your phone calls on the Auburn Bank phone line at 334-887-341 locally or toll-free, one 888 9 We'll talk some college football. We'll talk some Auburn recruiting as another uh, batch of visits this weekend for the Tigers. No commitments, though, but just kind of recap uh, the whole last week of recruiting. Also got to talk a lot about the Atlanta Braves. They have been on a tear. I think they just hit another home run. I mean, that's how that's how <laughs> frequent they've been hitting the, the baseball out of the ballparks. So we'll talk a little bit about them. Maybe talk a little U.S. Open recap. Uh, I know, Tom, you're a big golf fan, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Best and worst of the weekend at the end of the show, nightly TV guide, and also birthdays and sports. As always, Ryan, Brant, and Tom with you here on this Monday. Uh, Brant, we'll start with you today. How was your weekend, sir? My weekend was pretty good. Had a fun uh, Saturday. Ryan, you, I, you, myself, and uh, a couple of other members went out to uh, Duck Sanford, and we had a, uh, a little... Uh, practice for the Thunder Chicken softball, which is starting up here pretty soon, and I know we're all pretty excited about that. Looking forward to getting that underway. But yeah, man, the Atlanta Braves are—I think they've won 13 of their last 15, something ridiculous like that. They're now five and a half games ahead of the Marlins in the East, I think. And uh, it's kind of been so, unfortunate. Yeah. Marlins and Phillies have been equally hot the last yeah. week or two, yeah, but the, yeah, it's about five games or so. Yeah, this, but uh, you know, if the Braves keep playing like this, it's going to be tough to beat them. And uh, it, it, I think it's sustainable. You know, I think they're a really good team, and I think everybody's kind of heating up right now. Uh, outside of Austin Riley, he's still struggling a little bit, but not so badly that it's going to make me panic. I, I think that he's a, a still a really good player and. You know, it was a good weekend, uh, relaxing Sunday after a active Saturday, I guess. So, uh, all in all, pretty good, pretty good weekend, I think. Yeah, we did have Thunder Chickens practice on Saturday, and uh, looks like we've got a couple of good new additions. Of course, the roster's been finalized now, and uh, do have uh, opening day pushed back. Won't be on Tuesday like we thought. We were kind of joking about that. I don't think we would be playing tomorrow anyway. Yeah, uh, so... <laughs> Uh, we will uh, we'll have to wait another week for that, but uh, certainly excited about that season. Tom Peavy also on the show today. Tom hey. had a long Friday night, so was not able to make it to practice on Saturday, but I uh, hope the rest of your weekend went well. Yeah, oh, it, it absolutely did, and uh, glad to be back on the show. The last time I was here, I was torturing you guys with uh, crazy sodas <laughs> on last week's Wacky Wednesday. Uh, I hope everybody has gotten the taste of ranch dressing soda out of their mouth. Oh, boy, sweet, have we. Sweet corn soda. All right, so, uh, yeah, but uh, glad to be back on. Yeah, I had a, a very – you said I had a long week. Like I was 
Oh, Tom was so hungover. <laughs> it's like, yeah. no, not that type yeah, of a no, long. No, not, he works yeah. Friday nights. Yeah, yeah works Friday nights. Um, very uh, a busy and long work day on Friday. And so Saturday, just that I was not feeling it. I was I was so tired. So, but y'all know that I can play. I, I, toot, toot. I don't mean to toot my own horn, but toot toot. You know, I, I, I can handle myself. So, um, but yeah, I, I'm glad to be back on the show uh braves man i just like you said on a tear uh what they just did to the rockies was unprecedented and i'm gonna have to go back i need to pull up the stats but i mean the stats that they just accomplished against the rockies in that series were dumb i i, I mean just absolutely off the charts ridiculous i think, I think in the four game sweep out scored them like 42 to 8 yeah and five of their runs came in the fourth game so just insane yeah. insane in that series alone but well in, in insane as a team in the series but insane what uh rosario's doing insane what michael harris jr is doing insane what uh obviously it was so here's here's the thing and this is what's so good about the braves is they did what they did against the rockies and acuna was not good in that series at all he was like four for Four for fourteen, I think I saw, or four for something. Um, I think it was worse than that. Four for fourteen would be like two eighty six or something like that. Okay, so well, so worse than that. Yeah, he well, he, he walked a lot, but that was he all. Did. He, he did not have an extra base hit in the series. Uh, no extra base hits. Um, you know, his, his his stats in that series were not very good, but uh, Eddie, but Rosario had an incredible series. Michael Harris Jr. had an incredible series. Olson, I uh, was him. Darno, Travis Darno hit hit one almost 500 feet in the, in the first game of that series and had two home runs there. So that's how good the Braves are. Is their best players are are not even playing the best, and you have Travis Darno who is good. But Travis Darno is not viewed as one of the best catchers in all of Major League Baseball. He's a really good catcher, but he's out there hitting 500-foot bombs. Rosario, a guy that it's kind of like, yeah, you know, he's on the team, but he's, you know, okay, whatever. He he looks like an all-star against the Rockies. So, I mean, that's uh, Michael Harris Jr. has struggled all season long, and all of a sudden he just breaks out of that in a big way. So that's what's so good about the Braves is they've got so many weapons in that lineup. So I'm excited about that. The other thing I'm excited about and keeping the eye on is is Auburn football recruiting. Uh, Over the weekend, there were visits that were made, and there was one huge visitor that was here uh, in the form of a five-star wide receiver who is currently committed to Alabama. And all of a sudden, the eyeball emojis started popping up all over Twitter, and it was coaches, it was players, it was writers. There were a lot of eyeball emojis this weekend. So I'm wondering, and he said that Auburn had pulled even with Alabama, but with the amount of eyeball emojis and things that were going on, it makes me wonder if he flipped while right. he was on the visit. And he's just not dealing all of his cards at the moment. But, uh, wow, if that happens, goodness gracious, Hugh Freeze. Hello. Uh, that's the, that, is the, that would be the first – true big shot across the bow uh, of teams in the SEC. It's a big shot across the bow when they pulled the kid away from Georgia and got the commitment. And when the kid said uh, it was one that just committed uh, that from Tuskegee. Uh, Joe Phillips. Joe Phillips. That was a huge shot across the bow to Georgia because that's a kid that was getting ready to commit to Georgia on Tuesday and he commits to Auburn on Wednesday. If Auburn is able to flip that wide receiver from down there in Foley, 
That's a that is a that is the biggest shot across the bow that the Hugh Freeze staff will have made when you flip a five star wide receiver from Bama. So we'll see what happens. But uh, exciting times with that. Exciting times with the Braves. I'm ready to get on it. Let's do this. Absolutely. Let's uh, before we get to our first phone call, I want to ask you a, a recruiting question, kind of a, around uh, the Perry Thompson stuff. Obviously, Perry Thompson. Uh, the the other big wide receiver target's been Cam Coleman, who's out central. But I feel like more people have, at this point, maybe it's just recency bias because it was a visit this week, but more people are gravitating towards the idea and the excitement about trying to land Thompson over Coleman, even though Coleman's also incredibly highly rated. He's just uncommitted, and, and obviously Thompson's trying to – we're seeing if Thompson's going to, to flip from Alabama. What Since this buzz has happened, will it, how disappointed would you be if he did not like like how important is this becoming in your eyes or do you simply say well as long as they get coleman they're still going to have a very high profile big deal wide receiver from the state or do you feel that with all the hype now around the the effort to flip coleman again not try trying to keep this with the notion that everything is relative and that this is still one wide receiver this is not even like a, a five-star quarterback, quarterback, although the wide receiver will be very important in, in the Hugh Freeze offense. How important has this become to you that Auburn end up flipping Perry Thompson? Uh, I, <clears throat> honestly, very. I think very important. And just for me, I, I would be extremely disappointed because it just everything was feeling so good about that. And I think just because of the hype that went there with Perry Thompson and, like I said, all the eyeball emojis that everybody was posting – all the everything that was going in, all the video that Auburn was sharing of him getting hyped up with the coaching staff and all. It's like, here we go, here we go. And if he doesn't, then it almost kind of feels like, well, here we go again. You know, poor old Auburn. Yeah, we're right there on the right there on the edge, about to do it, and all of a sudden we don't. And you can, then everybody's going to go back all the way, all the way back to the. Uh, Oh, the the offensive lineman that committed to Auburn on National Signing Day and then signed with Alabama later that day. The um, Quanjo, uh, Quanjo, yes, Cyrus, yeah, yeah. Cyrus Quanjo. Uh, all the all the other numerous times that Auburn felt like they <clears throat> got their guy away from Alabama and it's going to happen. The kid that his uncle sequestered him way down at the beach so that he wouldn't commit or sign with Auburn and then he signed with Bama and you know all you know Reuben Foster and all. It just seems like all these guys, all these years, it feels like Auburn can get these guys away from Alabama, and then they don't. And so now they've hyped up Perry Thompson, and it's like this, everything feels good about this. Here we go. We need this to happen. And, again, for for the momentum of this recruiting staff, which has already been building momentum, that that is a huge, huge – like I said, it's like a, it's a shot across the bow of, hey, we're here. And if you – if you pull the trigger and and a little flag pops out and it just says bang and you don't and that's all it is then then all it was was hype and so now you're disappointed it's like well here we go same old same old Auburn you know in the recruiting cycles here we go maybe we can get the kid from Central and yeah that would be great but you have art but you've hyped up the Perry Thompson thing now you need to make it happen. To me, it's a big deal if it happens, and if it's if it doesn't happen, then you know, fine. It, obviously, you want the kid because he's obviously incredibly talented. 
he's not the only high school wide receiver. He's sure. not the only super talented high school wide receiver. And look, somebody is going to play wide receiver for Auburn. And if it's Perry Thompson, awesome. If it's Cam Coleman, awesome. I I don't a kid does not elevate in my mind because he commits to Alabama. Yes, it's great to pull kids away from Alabama and yet like Tom said, it's a punch in the face to your rival on the recruiting trail and those are great. But recruiting one kid is not the end all be all. It's the whole class. You've got to go from top to bottom. Did you get every position? And if you can pull a position away from an Alabama, from a Georgia, that's awesome. And I'll remind everybody that wants to talk about poor little Auburn that can't do anything right on the recruiting trail. Auburn flipped a Bama commit on signing day two years ago. It's not unheard of. Brian Harson did it. It's not impossible. Um, Robert Woodyard, the linebacker, who's a four-star, I right. think, is who, is, who I'm, is the player I'm speaking of, who I actually expect to be really good this year. I don't know if he'll start, but I think he'll play. Um, to, but like I said, it, it is great if it happens. Like Tom pointed out, recruiting momentum is a big deal. Um, and this staff is obviously not just using Hugh Freeze. It's not just using position coaches. It's using every member of this football team, players and staff. So I, if they get Perry Thompson, awesome. If they don't get Perry Thompson, they're going to get somebody. Got a full bank of phone calls right now on the Auburn Bank phone line, so let's get to it. 334-887-341 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. First up on the show today, Matt from Tallahassee. Matt is with us. Matt, how are you doing? Hey, uh, Ryan and Brent, what's the report on Tom today? So, uh, Tom, uh, we're going to say that even though he set us up for a very difficult, wacky Wednesday, we're going to say that it was a great idea and that he has behaved. Okay. Well, hey, Tom, that uh, drink you're talking about, ranch and the other drink? Yeah. That sounds disgusting. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was pretty bad. It was. I would never have tried those two. Well, well, the thing is, they didn't know what they were drinking. They just tried them and they didn't know. Well, hey, Ryan, did you ever get my email? I think you. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did get your email, uh, Matt. So it did. It did make it to us, and uh, you know, we do. Uh, we do hope that you can come out and and see us at some point this year. But we do have, uh, since it's been past registration for some time, we do have uh, a full roster for the season now. Where do you guys play at? Uh, we play at the the City of Auburn softball complex. It's right behind our radio stations. Okay, is that where, what's the name of what's the name of the ballpark? Uh, it's just called the City of Auburn softball complex. The City of Auburn softball complex. What road? What road is that on? Because the only the only ballpark I know is is Doug Sanford by the Auburn High School football field. Yeah, it's not there. It's off of uh, it's off of South College Street. Okay, maybe maybe you can email email me directions, and maybe I can show my mom, and maybe I come out and watch you guys play. Um, I just have to I just have to see when I can play because I don't know uh, how my schedule is going to be. Like I've been talking to my aunt. 
Yeah, Matt, you don't, you don't have to worry about uh, playing again. We've we've got a full roster here, so well, if, we would just appreciate uh, if you were able to come and, and say hello one day. Well, I well that's what I was going to say is it, it depends because I'm trying to work with my aunt and uncle to see when I can help him, and when swimming don't start until December or Olympics, and my mom's got to sign me up either online or I'm about to go and register. So I just need to know that if I come out there and say hey to you guys and watch you guys play, I just need to know the times and days because if it's during like swimming practice, I don't know if I can if I can make it. And if I have a baseball games, I don't know if I can make it. And I, so I just need to know the times and days. Right. It's it's uh, starting next Tuesday. It's always going to be on Tuesdays. Okay. And what time do you guys play? Yeah, it's usually at night, but we do, we don't we ourselves don't know the times yet. The the schedule has not been fully posted. So, if someone was sick, could I probably like play for that person? Uh, we'll have to see because we have we have a big team. We've we've got a lot of players, so not everybody's going to play every game uh, to begin with. So it would it would take a lot of people being out. But uh, those guys have all uh, already been on the roster and they've been with us in years past. But hey, uh, the question for you guys, uh, then I'll probably do some trivia. Uh, first, the question for Tom and Brent. Sure. When you guys talk, when you guys talking for the Braves, who do you think played the best outfielder, outfield, like the best left field, center field, right field, and the catcher? For the Braves, who do you think were all the best? Uh, outfield from left to right, I want Rosario in left, Harris in center, and Acuna in right. And catcher when when he's healthy is uh, goodness, uh, Travis Darno. Tra- no, no uh, Sean Murphy. Sean, oh, Murphy. Sean Murphy. Sean Murphy. Oh, yeah, is who yeah. I mean, yeah. No, I'm, not, I'm talking about who were the best outfielders before the Braves had them in the past. Who was the best catcher, the best left fielder, left center field, and right field in the past? Oh, yeah. in best the past, overall. best center fielder I can think of is Dale, Andrew Jones. Dale uh, Murphy might have been Dale Murphy. Yeah, it's a little bit before my time. I, I'm going off of guys that I remember watching, and uh, Brian McCann is probably the best catcher I remember watching. Okay, who being had the best shortstop, and second base, and first? First is Freddie. Second is a second might be Ozzy. I know he's still there, but that's the best one I can remember. Shortstop, Andrelton Simmons defensively is probably the best shortstop I've seen. What, what do you think about Danny Schwartz? I know he's not there anymore, but he was good. Hey, I, I I like Dansby. Yeah, he's a good player. But I heard he went to he went to Chicago, right? Yeah, he's with uh, he's with the Cubs now. But he's with like uh, he's with Jason Hayward, right? Is Hayward still with the Cubs? I'm not sure. He might be. I know he was at one time. I don't know. Okay, and then the question for all three of you guys. I saw that Auburn got a long snapper that committed to Auburn. What do you guys think about that, and how do you think that will probably help Auburn this year in football? Uh, yeah, preferred walk-on uh, goes to Auburn High, so a local kid staying home. I I don't know how much it helps Auburn, but you got to have a long snapper, so it's, it's a necessary addition. What do you guys think about uh, the – First baseman for Auburn transferring to Arkansas for softball. 
Uh, Brie Ellis. Yeah, Brie Ellis uh, going to Arkansas. I think it's a great move for her yeah. uh, going to the, just, to the best softball just, program yeah. in the SEC. Yes. Are they the best in yeah. the SEC? I'd say so. Until stayed. Oklahoma gets in here, yeah. I'd oh, say so. I, 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 wish I, I figured Alabama would be better than Arkansas. I wish it Bama and Florida. If you're talking this year, Tennessee won the SEC. They? But, well, yeah. hey, I wish it, I wish they, the players of softball trans, that transferred, I wish they had stayed. But I have talked to somebody that used to work for University of Plumbing at University. His name is Stacy Coleman. And I go, and, um, and he just told me the reason why they transferred. Do you guys know why they transferred? I know there are a million rumored reasons, but I know that none of the players who have transferred actually gave a reason. So I'm I'm not I'm I'm waiting until one of them says something to truly believe anything. I can tell you why because two like the the former principal named Carl Stewart and a guy named Stacy Coleman, they told me the reason why they transferred is because of Mickey Dean, and we need hitters. That's what that's what I've heard from. Uh, Carl Stewart and my friend Stacy Coleman. Well, that, it, it, that that might be true, but none of them have said that, so I I don't know. We we're not sure. And and um and what do you guys think? Did you guys hear about Window Green testing for NBA team? What do you guys think about that? Yeah, he had a workout with the with the Houston Rockets, I believe, and that's more so going to be to to see if he's going to get a two way contract or be in the G League because it's still uh, highly unlikely he gets drafted. Well, hey, is is Jared Harper still in the G League? I believe he's still in the G League. He's been with the squadron, the uh, the New Orleans G League affiliate for a while. So, say say that Window goes to G League, he'll be playing for someone else. But you think you think Window can probably handle Jared Harper, or if he Jared Harper can handle Window, who you think will probably win that matchup? That's a good question. I, I personally have liked Harper a little bit more, um, and he w- he is a little bit older now. So, I mean, he should be in the prime of his uh, athletic career, being in the the mid to upper twenties. I would I would probably take Harper, uh, but uh, it would be an interesting matchup and uh, be kind of worlds colliding right there. Hey, uh, um, Ryan and Tom, what do you guys think? That that was me. I was Ryan that just said that. I, so. I mean, Brent and Tom, what do you guys think? Yeah, I agree. I think I'd probably take Jared over Wendell. Not that Wendell's not a great player, but for all the reasons Ryan said. Is uh, Jared Harper's brother still on Auburn's basketball roster? I don't think so. I think he transferred out after last season. Do you know where he went? I do not. Okay. And um, let's see what else I want to do. Do you know if they're going to upgrade the um, – the softball anymore, and I heard they were going to do something in the north end zone. I think I asked you guys this question before. But I heard they're going to do something on the north end zone of the football stadium. Do you guys know anything about that? And are they going to upgrade the softball field probably still, or in the baseball field? Uh, so uh, right now I have not seen any plans for uh, further expansions on the softball field. Um, they've already done a lot of work over there and built them uh, some practice facilities and things like that. Uh, Jordan-Hare Stadium, 
there's no official talk. There's just been some renderings that had been done back many years ago about the potential of the north end zone. And I think um, uh, the, the athletic director has indicated that they want to try to explore some of that. The biggest expansions going on right now are at Plainsman Park. Um, they're, they're, I haven't been by there. I don't know if they've already started work or not. But uh, at Plainsman Park, they're getting ready to put seats on top of the Green Monster. They're putting seats on top of the uh, the building that is in right field. They're going to extend the right field bleachers down with uh, luxury boxes, luxury suites. So uh, a lot of expansion going on at Plainsman Park right now that is may have already started by now. And this is the last question I could say. I want to do a trivia. I was reading something on my on my um, on my nook. Something about the after director has suspended some people and stuff for that. Do you know anything about that? Uh, uh, do, you, do you mean the football situation? Uh, I think it's that, and it was something of that ap- the athletic department or something like that, too. Yeah. Yeah, the, the 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 football situation, the Jarquez Hunter situation, nothing has changed on that front. Um, we, we haven't heard anything, and those players are suspended until they're not, and we don't know when that will be. Yeah, I think it was also talking about the basketball arena, too, probably. There were some... Um, Something with the security at the basketball arena. Uh, not, not that I'm, uh, not that I'm aware of, Matt. Go ahead and uh, what do you want for trivia today? And we gotta let you go. Uh, let me go with. Uh, I guess. College, uh, college, college football. College, trivia. college football trivia. Um. How about, well, uh, let's see. Got to think of a question on the fly. If we'll we have that, I'll go to Major League if we have, if we have that. How about that? Well, I, I think Tom's got one for I was you. I was going to say, I, we can definitely throw out some college football uh, trivia here. Okay. All right. Uh, what team plays in Beaver Stadium? In Beaver Stadium? Yep. The name of the stadium is Beaver Stadium. What team plays there? I was going to say Oregon. No. Uh, right. It's, uh, it's not Oregon State. It's not, it's not Baylor. Do you want a hint? Uh, is it, is it the Penn State? Penn State. Yes. There you go. Penn State plays in Beaver they, Stadium. Yeah, they cheated against us when they <laughs> Um, let's see. Uh, we'll do one more. Yeah. Uh, who, who won the Heisman Trophy from Georgia in 1982? George Alway also cheated against us. It had to be stated Ben. Uh, what was the answer? It was Benton, the, the quarterback for Georgia. No, 1982. What player from Georgia won the Heisman Trophy? Oh man, I'm still in middle school. <laughs> very, very, fam- very famous uh, Georgia football player and very famous NFL player who won the Heisman Trophy, 1982. 1982. I'm he, he was a, so he was a he he was a freshman in 1980. They won the national title. 
he played for the New Jersey Generals in the USFL right out of college. He was a running back. He was a running back. Played for the New Jersey Generals. Nick Cub. Nick Cub. No, way before that. Man, I like like I said, I was in, still in middle school in 1982. Uh, <laughs> I didn't graduate middle school until I was like after like eighth grade. Right. Um, I can't think of I can't think of his name. Not Nick Cub. Go ahead. It's help. Herschel Walker. Yeah, he cheated against us too. <laughs> hey, but hey, I got I got a question for you guys. You know, then I'll do. I'm not gonna do the chair because um, my um and stuff. But I, I get too loud. But I might do. I don't know. But let me ask you guys a question. Yeah, last thing who, for us, Matt. Who, who is the best? When you guys, I think I heard you guys talking about like the Heisman Trophy. It, it, but you guys, I think it was like uh, you think you guys said Cam Newton or um and stuff like that. But who uh, as who was your best in Auburn to win the the Heisman? Out of all of Auburn or out of uh, Auburn's Heisman winners? Yeah, I mean that's got to be Cam. Now, I mean I was not alive to see uh, Pat Sullivan. Um, well, and I, I I was about to just jump on Cam Newton. No, Bo Jackson is definitely best because Cam was only here for one year. Bo Jackson had multiple years. Here at Auburn, so you have to go with Bo Jackson, and I mean, plus Bo Jackson is, you know, from what he did after Auburn, what he did in baseball, what he did in football. I mean, he's one of the most iconic athletes in the history of sports, and so you have to give it to Bo Jackson. Yeah. Well, hey, like I said, I'll do the chair, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do it too loud because my parents will say like, "You did it too loud," and so so. But um, I'm going to say this like really good. Are you ready? We're ready. Countdown. Five, four, four three, three, two, two one. one. Whoa. Whoa. Eagle. Eagle. Hey. Hey. Beat Bama. Come to our field. 98 to 13. Booyah. Booyah. Hey, if you guys see Brooks. Tell him I said, "Hey, and behave." And Tom, yes, maybe, maybe I, maybe if I can come to your radio station, see you guys radio station sometimes, I'll try some of those drinks. <laughs> All right, sounds just, good. Just don't, just don't bring the range, though. <laughs> no okay. range, no range. All right, Matt, we'll talk to you next week. All right, Warrior guys. War Eagle, Matt. That is Matt for Auburn joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Appreciate his phone call. Right there. We need to take our next time out. Back with more phone calls on the Auburn Bank phone line right after this. We need a time out. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. This is Andy Burcham, voice of the Auburn Tigers, and you're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Daughtry, 
and Tom Peavy with you here on this rainy Monday afternoon. Stormy. Very stormy. So let's go back to the Auburn Bank phone line as we still got a full bank of callers. 334-887-3401 locally or toll free. one 9 tiger 9 Next up on the show. Real Deal from Coosa County. Real Deal's on the phone. Real Deal, how are you doing? All right, man. How y'all doing? It's Tom and Tom I'm right here. Hey, look here. Uh, what are they predicting uh, Auburn's record to be this year in football? What, what are they? They're predicting the record? Is that what you asked me? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I've seen. I I think the general consensus among like most everybody out there that's making picks right now is saying like seven wins to eight wins, maybe nine. Um, I think ten is kind of stretching it a little bit. So most people are thinking that Auburn's going to win either seven or eight. That's kind of the general consensus right now. Okay, do y'all agree with that? I I think uh, I think that this is a nine win team. Uh, if if the quarterback is as good as people think they can be, and is a step up above what was already there, um, I think that could potentially give you one extra win. So I I don't see this being a ten win team, but I could definitely see them getting nine out of it. So who who do you think uh, is that could beat us? Who can beat Auburn? Yeah. Well, who? Well, who are y'all predicting that could beat us? You know, you said that a man, maybe you stretching it for 10. So who are you predicting that could beat us this year? Well, I, I still think Georgia and Alabama are just still way ahead of Auburn in, as far as talent. So, I mean, that that's two right there that you just really have to think are probably going to be losses. Go ahead. Well, let me ask you this. You know, you know, Georgia picked Mike Noble back there. Do you think he's going to be a good offense coordinator for Georgia? I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if he's going to be a good coordinator or not. I know that they've got a lot of talent. And sometimes – sometimes a Mike Noble. I'm well, thinking of Mike Noble. You know, you can have all the talent, but if you're not calling the right plays and putting the right guys in the right position, you know – Georgia, Georgia, my opinion, could have some trouble. You know what I think Georgia's problem is going to be? What's that? They're getting all these top recruits, and now, you know, people can transfer when they get ready. And uh, I think Georgia's going to have problems with the recruits coming in that's wanting to play and, and not going to run a Stand back and wait until the guys always are there going through. That's my opinion with Georgia. Now, let me give you my opinion with Alabama, okay? Favor none, none, hire some more coaches, right? Right. I don't think it's the coaches. Favor, my opinion, didn't get the wide receivers that he's been getting. And I think that sort of hurt Alabama because they wasn't getting the exact good wide receivers they've been getting, you know. They got the Gibbs kid, and uh, to me, after him, the wide receivers weren't too good. 
Well, I mean, they, I know they. That's my opinion. Yeah. I, 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 and uh, my thing with uh, LSU and all these other people, I know y'all gonna think I'm in the in the cool air this summer, but I've been drinking. But I just look at football in a different perspective. I think the quarterback behind the starter is a better quarterback. Right. To me, this is what he got now. He's a pretty good runner, but to me, he throws, he runs too much. And uh, I look at the games that we played last year, we didn't have anything with them, and uh, we have a chance to beat Ole Miss, we have a chance to beat Mississippi State. We went overtime with Mississippi State, and everybody keeps saying, how good no Texas A&M going to be? Texas A&M, how is Jimbo Fisher going to get along with his new offensive coordinator? Is these two guys going to coexist together? And I don't see it with LSU. To me, they're not that good. If Auburn don't turn the ball over, we beat LSU last year. And uh, I think if he Freeze can coach like I think he can coach, I think we're going to have a pretty good season. I'm going to hang up, and I want to get your comments on all that that I just talked about. War Eagle. War Eagle, appreciate that phone call. That is real deal from Coosa County joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Uh, you know, look, I think that uh, there's always hope or there's going to be a, a lot of cases of hope for quick turnarounds when you talk about how different a roster can change now. I still think that there was so much work to do with this Auburn roster. I think that, yeah, you always value the being at home against your rivals and, and being inside of Jordan-Hare Stadium. And, and and you do look around the conference, and there's plenty of question marks in the in the middle tier. But, you know, it, 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 you, it seldom goes exactly according to plan. Like the, the best version of everything happened, of everything happening seldom – Seldom occurs, and so some of those mid team, mid level teams like Ole Miss and Arkansas, on paper, some years you expect to beat them for sure. Some years you're a little less confident. Right. You know, usually you, you slip up once or twice with, with teams you expect to beat, and and especially in this situation where Auburn's coming from a place where it doesn't have the talent gap it typically has on those teams. Uh, you know, it is reasonable to think that even though Auburn, there's a scenario they can beat those teams. There's also a scenario where they lose one or two of those games. And by the way, you know, when you when you play, you don't the best team doesn't always win. Sometimes there's upsets. Sometimes it, maybe Auburn has a great version of its team, and, and and maybe it loses someone that ultimately is not having as good of a year, or vice versa. If if Auburn is is maybe not having a great year, they they rise right. up and beat somebody. Um, so that's why I, I stay away from like the nine and, and ten win stuff for now. Uh, to be fair, I think that they have still changed their equation significantly with Peyton Thorne and with other players because I, I think that coming into the year, if you just told me in spring practice where I was thinking, I was thinking around six and six, uh, maybe maybe seven and five. Yeah. But now I've gone up at least a game, maybe two. I'm thinking seven and five and eight and four. I think those are, are the fair projections for a team that's replaced a lot of its roster that has not had a string of, of, of lesser recruiting classes than what it's used to. As far as the Alabama and Georgia bit. Uh, I I think it's fair to say Alabama does not have a number one wide receiver that has 
lives up to all the other one wide receivers they've had. I don't think that's a hot take. I know Ja'Cory Brooks will be good, and uh, I know that um, they have a high expectation of wide receiver play because, damn, I mean, even when they were not running spread offense, they had an excellent wide receiver. When you go back to, obviously, Julio, but then even uh, the teams right after that, someone like Amari Cooper, uh, as they started to transition to more of spread stuff. So they, they've always had uh, an incredible wide receiver, uh, and, and that's, not been, um, that's not been abnormal. What's, I guess, changed the last few years is they had multiple wide receivers at one time. Uh, because they spread it out, they were able to put two or three awesome NFL-caliber guys out there at the same time. And, yeah, they, they might not have that right now, or at least it's not evident they're going to have to develop throughout the year they don't have the proven track record of guys but um there is the possibility the last thing i'll say is and we've well, i think we broached the subject a little bit last week but you know their offense has had a lot to do with them winning the last few years as opposed to kind of the first half of Saban's run where it was defense and run game uh, primarily and and recently it has been so offensive oriented because of the string of quarterbacks and wide receivers they've had. I think there's a chance, at least a chance, that with um, having a Pete Golding out of there, but then bringing Kevin Steele in, there's a chance they return back to more of the dominant defense they've been playing. Now, dominant defense in 2023 is not the same as dominant defense a decade ago or a decade and a half ago. But they've been falling into the 10-15 range defensively the last couple years. And I, I, I at least allow for the possibility that they're going to return to the top five, maybe even top three. Um, so if they do that, they will not have to have the same strain and same proficiency out of their offense to where they're just scoring six, seven touchdowns a game with just out-talenting people. So... I at least allow for that possibility with them. I, and again, I know that I don't want to discount the magic of a home Iron Bowl because we all get it, and Auburn does not have to be as good as Alabama to at least scare the hell out of them uh, inside of Jordan-Hare Stadium. And if you're scaring the hell out of them, you get one bounce, you get one stroke of luck, then then you end up winning the game. But I still think when you're looking, and again, that's why we play it out, but if you're looking on the paper side of things, there's still such a gap there that, look, it will be the end of the year, and and maybe Auburn's had a better-than-expected year. Maybe that game means something to somebody. But I, I still think that before we even see it, it would be a little bit premature to think that Auburn's going to go and, and beat Georgia or Alabama this year just given the gap that, that exists. And I, I get everyone has to replace stuff. Georgia has to replace stuff. And the, the point about Bobo – is interesting because he was so so bad at Auburn. Uh, but also remember Georgia, if I'm talking about what Alabama's needed for success the last few years, Georgia has not needed great offense yeah. for success. They've needed timely offense. They've not needed a totality of great offense. They've, they've been having the most dominant defense in the sport the last few years. So uh, if that continues, they won't need Bobo to be tremendous. They'll, he'll just need to not be in their way. Uh, and now everyone likes the job that Munkin did – and certainly Stetson Bennett got better, and it was you know, shocking how capable he became. But, again, they don't have to put up 45 a game, in my opinion, or even close to it, to be a dominating force in the league. I know we're about out of time here for the hour. Any any other thoughts here? Uh, 
so my thought is this. Let's go to Alabama. So first of all, I, I am not going to doubt on Alabama right now as long as Nick Saban is their head coach. And I know there's some things going on there. Maybe with their roster is not as packed with talent as it has been. It's still packed with talent. They're still very good. There's a reason that a lot of prognosticators have them winning the West this year, have them winning the SEC this year, have them being a lot better than they were last year. Um, so there are issues there, but Nick Saban is still that coach. I, I am not going to sleep on Alabama until they show me that they are going down, just simply put. Uh, and with Georgia, they're loaded. Um, and I see my, my difference uh, of opinion from a real deal is you can have all the talent in the world, but if you have a bad coach that can't call a place, well, I look at it the opposite of that i i think if you just if you're just loaded with the best talent ever that can play football even a very mediocre coach can win with mediocre talent and kirby smart's a smart man and he knows what's going on if mike bobo is screwing things up he'll yank him off and put somebody else in charge of play calling but i think with the talent that they those guys have on both sides of the football i could go out there and call plays and these guys could probably run them to a good extent so i'm not worried about mike bobo with georgia i think they're going to be stellar i think alabama is going to be stellar i still think lsu is going to be really good and so when we go all the way back i never even got to answer the question like why do i think that auburn is only going to win eight games or or, or the question was who who are we going to who, get? Would, who would auburn who would auburn lose to yeah basically. well i mean i i say definitely georgia definitely alabama most likely lsu there's three right there um you you have to think the Texas A and M game is kind of iffy, uh, even though yeah I mean they haven't proven it yet, but they're still good. Um, They've got the talent, and it, then you sure. would be the rebuttal would be well, what has Auburn proven? Well, to well, to, 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 to be confident that they would they would beat A and M. I think they can. I mean, sure, we all know think, they can. Sure. And I don't know who would be favored in that game once we get right. to it. Um, but A and M can go one of two very different ways. They've gone to the extremes right. in the previous couple of years where they went to a New Year's Six Bowl a couple of years ago and only lost, I think, one game. And that was kind of the first, like the only great, okay, here's Jimbo Fisher, here's what they paid for. And then they immediately get this incredible class and they have a, an awful, despicable, you know, 2001 Mississippi State season or something or or you know hor is, is about as horrible as it can go and so I don't know if you put that all in the pot stir it up what that's going to be this year I it could, it could be very it could be somewhere in the middle it could be one of those extremes again yeah to to Tom's point I, I have this saying you cannot win games without great players you, it, it, at being a good coach becomes a lot better it becomes a lot easier when you have really good players. But it also does not guarantee wins, to Real Deal's point, because like we just said, Ryan, Texas A&M went 3-9 and nine last year, and they've had the top five recruiting classes for the last yeah, three I years Yeah, I mean, it was row. like one of the top classes in a long time yeah. the other year. Yeah. And, and it's they are insanely talented and loaded, and to Ryan's point, they could very well, if somehow the mixture of Jimbo Fisher and – Arkansas guy. I can't remember his name. Bobby Petrino. Bobby Petrino. Thank yep. you very much. If somehow the mixture of Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino works, then A&M is a sleeping giant. But if it if they clash heads and it doesn't work, like I think we all kind of think is going to happen, they could be a disaster yeah. again. You can go four but and eight or three I, nine. You're yeah. talking about you can't keep up with the talent level that 
Georgia and Alabama have right now. LSU won the West last year, and they returned most of their players. You're and you have you're, to go to Baton Rouge. Yeah, you have to go to Baton Rouge. There, you're going to play them for the last time in this every year series for a little while. I mean, right now Auburn is kind of in a talent battle with the likes of Arkansas and Ole Miss. I think they're about even with those two. So you're you're in the second tier of talent right now, and when you are that far behind, it's just tough to keep up with the big boys. Now, again. Brian Harson got got the chance to coach one Iron Bowl because he just wasn't very good, and in that Iron Bowl, took Alabama to overtime, and Alabama, what, what Alabama made the national championship that year, I think. Uh, yes, that was the, when they lost to Georgia. Yeah, so they yeah. lost the national championship to Georgia. So a bad Auburn team with a head coach that none of us are really big fans of took that Alabama to, team yeah. to four overtimes. They make one it's, different play, they win. Yeah, it's yeah. very possible to beat Alabama. I mean, that, I mean that that was the one that the all the writers had already written their stories yeah. because they thought it was over and a measurement, yeah. you know, kept that thing going. Yeah. Well, I look at it like this. All right, so Auburn opens against UMass. That's going to be a win. I I think going out to California, Cal is just terrible. Yeah. I, that's it's Cal's going to be like to use a golf analogy, like the four four or five foot putt. It's like a ninety to ninety five percent play. You could go out there and trip your, over trip over your own shoestrings, but I mean it, Auburn's better than you Cal. should. I'm just saying you should make it right, but it's your first little knee knocker. Yeah, you're trying to get your round going, yeah. trying to get the first Hugh Free season going, and you should win it. But right. you just just pay attention. Yep. Just pay attention. But I'm going to give it a win. I will say that's two, Absolutely. and I'll say Samford. The third game yep. is win. So you start out three and zero. Then you go to Texas A and M. Right now, I'm going to say no. Just right now, I I don't think Auburn beats Texas A and M at a. I don't know. I'm not ready to go through this yet, honestly. But please well, keep going. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not I'm ready an, to marry myself to I mean, it. Well, no. I mean, I'm. But I'm just. I'm answering. Sure, real, I'm now. answering real yep. deal. Um, next game is Georgia. No. Next game is at LSU. No. Ole Miss. I'll give you a win there. Mississippi State. I'll give you a win there. Vanderbilt. I'll give you a win there. You're up to six now. Six and three. Arkansas. Don't really know. New Mexico State. Yes. Bam, there's your seven, and then Alabama. Right now you're sitting on seven. You could potentially beat Arkansas to make eight. You could potentially beat A&M to have nine. You could also potentially lose both of but those games could, and could, Ole Miss. And Ole Miss and so finish with six. Right, Ole Miss, Ole Miss is the interesting one because Ole Miss, on how they function as a team, has been – a lot better than Auburn the last two years, and yet right. it's not really mattered on the football field. Where yeah, that's true. Auburn had an incredibly competitive game in Oxford one year, and then beat them in Auburn the other year. So they've obviously played even football with yeah. Ole Miss, despite Ole Miss being a decent amount ahead of them the last two years. I, man, and here's here's one that gets overlooked, and I and I, God forbid, Auburn this, hadn't won in Nashville since two thousand three. Yes. Yeah. You knew exactly played, what I was played. Thinking. Played him twice. I saw you looking at it, but I also knew that. Like Auburn has had bad luck playing at Vanderbilt. Yeah. And, no, they're gonna be okay. And, they're gonna be okay. I'm just saying. I, I mean, God, I, God help us on Auburn's that Monday. Auburn's gonna be show. okay. They're gonna be fine. I, I just believe. remember. I remember the last, when Auburn got beat by uh, Vanderbilt in Nashville, and everybody was sharing the meme from uh, the movie Revenge of the Nerds, where John Goodman's character is like, "You just got your blanks beat." By a bunch of nerds. <laughs> <laughs> so Auburn's going to be all right. Let's not go down that road. But uh, that's a, a fun exercise. Again, I'm going to wait till at least media days to lock in 
the final predictions, but it's always good to start to get an idea. I mean, the roster's pretty much built by this point. So uh, we are out of time for hour number one. Stay tuned. A lot more on the Auburn Bank phone line. Appreciate James and Steve for patiently waiting. We will start with James from Montgomery in hour number two. You're listening to the Monday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Brent Daughtry, and Tom Peavy with you here live on this Monday. Hope everyone again had a great Father's Day weekend. We now continue on with the show by going back to the Auburn Bank phone line at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, one 9 at Tiger 9. Next up, James from Montgomery. James is with us. James, thank you for waiting, sir. Hope you're having a good day today. I am in War Eagle. War Eagle. Yes. Uh, the first thing that I'm actually going to be talking about with uh, the uh, on Monday, on uh, June the 19th of this beautiful uh, historic weekend on Juneteenth. Um, who do you think is going to actually start uh, the college football season in Atlanta? You know what what HBCU schools would play to open up the 2023 college football season? Yeah, I, I honestly don't know. I know that there's always the uh, the Celebration Bowl uh, at the end of the season, and uh, that's always a, a part of the bowl season. But uh, I honestly don't know what the what the kickoff game there for. Uh, HBCUs and the FCS is okay because if they're um, looking at like some uh, HBCU uh, kickoff uh, games uh, to open up the 2023 uh, college football season. Okay, um, the only two teams I would like to see to open up the college football season would be I'll have to say Howard University against against Grambling State University as well because they. Those two schools, they have a huge program, and their and their uh, history is very long and uh, historic as well. Yeah, uh, again, I, I'm I'm not aware of the of the kickoff game right now, but uh, of course that those two would make some sense. Yes, as well because I've uh, actually seen uh, some some colleges when they actually do the college football playoff. Uh, you know, when they actually play in Atlanta, it's always. You know, different. It's like smaller schools, but I mean, with with that being played in Atlanta, I think they should do other schools. You know, when they play like the, um, you know, like a Auburn or Georgia or Alabama. I mean, they they should have like when they play bowl games in Atlanta, where the Atlanta Falcons play. I mean, they should play like 
you know, an HBCU school in Atlanta as well. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll see if they start to do something like that. What else is on your mind today? Well, with uh, the countdown to the NBA uh, draft, I'm looking at uh, is uh, Jabari Green, uh, uh, is he going to be actually in the uh, lottery pick this this coming up Thursday as well? Uh, I'm not I'm not familiar with uh, Jamari Green. Um, are, are you who are you are you referring to an Auburn player or Wendell Green? Yes, uh, yes Wendell Green. Yeah, Wendell Green. Is he is he going to be a really good uh, pick for the lottery pick for uh, Thursday uh, on day one of the NBA uh, draft? Yeah, I unfortunately do not see him getting drafted uh, on Thursday. I think you know he's had some workouts here in recent days, particularly with the Rockets, and that might signal he's going to get at least a G League opportunity. Maybe maybe be in the summer league and, and have the opportunity to earn his way onto a G League roster or a two way contract. But no, I do not see him getting drafted on Thursday night. So if there if he's not going to get drafted on Thursday night, I think he might uh, be a good fit for a two-year contract with the uh, NBA G League, and the only team that I'm actually looking at will be the Birmingham Squadron, you know, the affiliate of the Houston Rockets. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, so I think they're the affiliates of the Houston Rockets as well. Uh, they're, they're affiliate of the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, and, yeah. and oh, yes. okay. But, uh, yeah, it would be interesting to see him play in Birmingham. We've uh, seen Jared Harper be able to do that in the past, and, and any Auburn or Alabama guys playing – and Birmingham certainly would attract more eyes, so we certainly uh, hope some more Auburn guys end up on that team. Yes, that's all, because I'm actually looking, I'm going to be looking at, um, you know, different uh, different key parts when they actually show the uh, mock drafts of the NBA draft and seeing what Auburn player or Alabama player or Georgia player from uh, these universities actually making you know, making their name, making a huge name for themselves in the NBA um, draft when it comes to Thursday as well. Yeah, no, we will certainly uh, be talking more about the NBA draft later this week. And uh, it's all, also so fascinating that's so quick after the NBA finals that you turn right around and immediately go into the draft. Certainly not the case like in the NFL, but uh, yeah, we're looking forward to it. Yes, and then I have my top uh, five teams I would like to see play in the NBA uh, Finals uh, playoffs the next year. Um, probably at number five, I'll probably say that would be no other than the Denver Nuggets. I would like to see them actually win another NBA Finals championship. Uh, number four would actually be the Boston Celtics. Um, I actually see them uh, actually looking really good this year. Uh, they didn't look too good last year. They had some key injuries, um, you know, but I think they're going to rebuild, and I see a great opportunity for the Boston Celtics to actually make a bounce back this uh, next year in 2024 as well. Okay, that was number four. Who's number three? Um, I would have to say number three would be the Cleveland Cavaliers. I, I see a great opportunity for Cleveland to actually go to the NBA Finals and win one as well because with that team, they really had a, um, you know, they really had history with uh, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, 
uh, Chris Bosch and many other, uh, team, many other names with that team as well. And that's why I should, uh, see, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers actually making it to the NBA Finals next year in 2024. Yeah, a lot of that, uh, a lot of that history there was with uh, Miami for that for that big three with Wade, Bosch, and, and LeBron. But obviously, LeBron uh, did have a, a special time of it in Cleveland. Won that that ring in 2016 for the Cavs, and uh, obviously will will be a, 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 a is a Cavaliers legend. Yes, and then um, number two would be the Chicago Bulls. I mean, they really have history. Um, I think they might look like they. Um, playoff team and I probably see them actually um, picking some great players on Thursday night as well for the NBA draft as well and my number one team that I would like to see would be the Milwaukee Bucks. I would love to see the Milwaukee Bucks actually go to the NBA uh, finals and actually win in it as well. Yeah they just won it uh, a few years ago when they beat the, the Phoenix Suns and I know that with Giannis they're going to try each and every year to be a, a finals contender and obviously got knocked out early this year by Miami, but they were the number one seed and they certainly are going to continue to try and build a championship team. Yes, as well. And then I know that y'all were talking about like um, how many games will Auburn win this year for 2023. I'll probably say we will go, um, I'll probably say the overall record will be, uh, Seven and six this year. Seven and six. Okay, so they they maybe go seven and five and lose the bowl game, or or six and six and win the bowl game, something like that. Uh, yes, I, I'll probably say it would be like seven and five that they won't make it to the bowl game, but I'm not quite sure. Uh, we might make it like to a Birmingham bowl or to like a smaller like a smaller bowl game as well. Maybe like a Gator Bowl or an Orange Bowl or maybe a Sugar Bowl in in New Orleans as well. Yeah, those last couple would be uh, very entertaining, but they will have to go better than 7-5 and five to do that. But, yeah, I think a lot of people, uh, again, as Tom said earlier in our number one, seven to eight wins is kind of the most common projection for Auburn this year. Yes, that's why, because I know we have, a, we have like a tight schedule for uh, the month of September. I know the first game that we play is September 2nd. We play UMass University. I think that's going to be a win. Then we go to uh, California. So we play um, up there in L.A. Um, I, I, I see California. I mean, when we actually put that on our roster, I was thinking should uh, when we put that California game on our schedule, I was like, should Auburn win that game? I'll probably lean it towards California, so I think they're going to beat Auburn, but it, it can go either way as well. Hopefully Auburn wins that game, because I think that would spell trouble for the remainder of the season. Cal is going to be one of the, the weaker opponents on, on Auburn's schedule, so hopefully that's, that's a win uh, in the first Power 5 win of the Hugh Freeze era. Yes, and then I think we play uh, Sanford University at home. That's going to be a homecoming weekend. Um, I think Auburn is going to win that one because I think we did play Sanford uh, University, you know, for the last uh, time in homecoming weekend history. So I think Auburn would win uh, that game at home as well. I I agree with you. Uh, what else is on your mind today before we let you go, James? Well, 
I'm actually going to be looking at my Texas Rangers, and we just got only one game of the uh, schedule. So we played the Chicago White Sox, and I'm hoping that we're going to win this one as well. Yeah, the Rangers have continued to play really good baseball. They've been a, a, a pleasant surprise uh, for you this year, James. Yes, as well. Indeed, indeed, indeed for that, because I think they look like a World Series uh, team that I'm actually going to be seeing and probably with the um, with the Texas Rangers, I'll probably see them actually making it this year to the World Series and maybe uh, playing against the Tampa Bay Rays as well. Yeah, the Tampa Rays have the number one record in the American League. Texas number two right now, but obviously both American League teams, so they'd have to play in the American League Championship Series prior to the World Series. Any final thoughts for us today? Um, I don't have any final thoughts as well, but I'll um, have to take that NBA uh, trivia um, on tomorrow as well. All right, don't let us forget. NBA trivia tomorrow. All right, sounds good. And War Eagle. War Eagle. That is James from Montgomery joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Let's go right back to the Auburn Bank phone line at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Next up, War Damn Steve. Retire War Damn Steve is with us. Steve, how are you doing today? Uh, Well, that's uh, relative right now. I'm trying to locate anyone on some uh, websites who has any idea on how to build an ark. <laughs> yeah, uh, we've needed one in Alabama the last week or two. Is we've become between uh, tornado warnings today and thunderstorm uh, watch. Uh, you name it. I know you guys have been having some uh, uh, weather uh, issues yourself. Yeah, no, no tornado warnings. Fortunately, like we saw down in uh, Baldwin County today, but. Uh, but, yeah, no, we definitely had severe thunderstorms, and uh, we had one show last week where we had about seven or eight warnings during the show, uh, which you know you wouldn't pick up on on the podcast, but if you listen on the uh, terrestrial signal, then you, you hear that uh, live. So we, we've definitely had our fair share. Yeah, well, again, if uh, you guys know any carpenters, know anybody that knows how to build all those things, uh, please uh, uh, let me know. Yeah, we'll have them get all on. All right. Well, let's get to it. How about some holy acuna? Uh, I didn't know this uh, until I read it uh, from CBS Sports. I'm, I'm sure you guys know it because you follow the Braves. Uh, Cunha, of course, has become the first player ever to record 15 homers and 30 steals in the first 70 games of a team. Is that astounding? It is, and yeah. it's it's been so good to see him have such a great season for Atlanta given the, the horrible ACL injury two years ago, right. the, the lack of power he had last year, so – uh, he's been he's been great all season long, except except he did not have a good series against the Rockies, even though the Braves. That's had what I heard in, you guys in, say. Yeah, he was two for thirteen with five walks and zero extra base hits in that series sweep of the Rockies. Yeah. It happened. I mean, that's, all good. that's hard to believe when he has this record and he does that badly over the weekend. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's a small sample. So yeah. Everyone, everybody, Freddie Freeman yeah. earlier this year had like a. Uh, I think it was a, I saw a five of twenty nine or something like that a five of thirty it, it it happens it happens and talk about it happens Tom how about I didn't know the U.S. Open winner has never won a golf championship round uh, in a tournament uh, ever before is that right uh, he'd never won a major major okay uh, he's pretty young isn't he yeah he's yeah. twenty nine uh, he had he had not won prior to this year he won the Wells Fargo earlier this year about a month ago so he had right. not won until a month ago. Do you know what his take was for the purse? Oh I, I saw some figure uh, that was like the first five seasons in the PGA Tour what he earned compared to like the last month 
or or just this year, and he's essentially made what he made in his previous five years all within the last few months. But I don't okay. remember the exact. Well, figure. he was, well just for the U.S. Open, he won three point six million. Wow. Just for that one. Just for that. Just for winning the U.S. Open, he won three point six. Uh, I, I guess he doesn't have to win anymore for the rest of the year and do okay. Yep, yeah, he's well. in a good place. Okay, guys. Speaking of sticking with baseball, today is a monumental day on June nineteenth. Besides today being Juneteenth, and a happy Juneteenth uh, to everyone. Because uh, if uh, we're not all free, then we're none of us are free. But uh, on June nineteenth. On this date in 1846, what occurred, guys, in baseball? In, uh, in 1946? 18. 1846. 1846. I, was, I was definitely not alive when that happened, so I'm uh, not sure. Well, I can assure you I was not either. Yeah, I, I, I have no idea. Okay, it occurred in Hoboken, New Jersey, and it is officially the first recorded baseball game in U.S. history. Okay. And it took place between who? The New York Nine playing the Knickerbockers. Yeah. All right. And they're now a basketball team. <laughs> yes. But the score was, to me, uh, astounding. It was like a football score. Uh, it only lasted four innings, whatever, for whatever reason. The final was 23 to 1. Oh, no. I think that's a mercy rule. No, I think we found the reason. <laughs> they probably <laughs> didn't want to continue. Wow. Now, something odd, or to me, it was odd about this particular game, even in baseball that was being played, uh, apparently you were only allowed to throw underhand pitches. That was it. Yeah. I also see why someone scored 23 runs. There. They also did not have uh, baseball gloves. It was all barehanded at that point. Ooh. Right. And here's another one. A ball caught on the first bounce was ruled an out. Yeah. Okay. Can you imagine that happening now? God, a lot of there'd be some diving and there'd be some wild plays. But it's amazing how all these kinds of rules that we now take for granted didn't always exist that way. Right. They, well, they that, made that, it better over time. Well, and I mean that that's one of the things that you can like go back and, and find crazy things with sports of, of how things have evolved. Like at the beginning of basketball, I mean it was literally a, a basket that they hung up on right, a wall. A peach but it, basket. Uh, yeah, peach basket. But it didn't even have it had a bottom, so I mean Right. They'd have to you go have to up and take the ball. Yeah. yeah, have to take the ball out of the basket. And they, somebody finally was Calm like, out. how about we Calm cut out. a hole in the bottom of it? <laughs> okay. And how about this one, too? Now, what if this happened in today's games? You could put out a runner by hitting the runner with a ball. Oh, yeah. Still that's did how, that kick ball in school. To, that, that's how, that's how we yeah, play a wiffle ball in the, in the backyard. Yeah, peg the guy with it. So you could just hit him with the ball, and then they were out. Oh, yeah. All peg him. Right. Being to stick with baseball, guys, I've enjoyed uh, these games uh, in the World Series. Uh, a bunch of one-run win uh, over the weekend. How about Wake Forest coming from behind uh, to win their game? Yeah, all these games have been, They've been really good. And uh, let's see, right now, um, Tennessee won. It's the final, 6-4. to four. Yep, just uh, they came from behind on Stanford and scored a couple, I believe, in the eighth to win. Right. And Oral Roberts, I mean, as bad as I thought they were, they – uh, they gave Florida everything they they wanted. Uh, they finally lost five to four. Now Robinson's playing TCU uh, tomorrow, right? Yes, and uh, you know, I mean, you you make a run this deep. Obviously, you're you're playing the best baseball of the season, and uh, I, I think you can you can take them off the bad list if, if you make the College World Series. And LSU Wake Forest played this evening, guys. 
um, you know, I, I tell you guys, I'm still pulling for Wake Forest, uh, and they so, so somehow you know they never gave up because they were behind. I think it was a was it two to one? I think yeah, uh, for a long time. Uh, what do you guys give Wake Forest a chance against LSU tonight? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a a, a great game and. I know LSU already threw Skeens, their ace, on uh, Saturday. And he yeah, was, and he was absolutely – He was great. Uh, he throws hard, Lord, and he throws hard all the time. And, uh, and with movement. Yeah, and he was good. So, uh, LSU, it'll be interesting to see if uh, Wake Forest can put up some runs on the board today. I think they'll need to, and I think they're capable of it with uh, not facing Skeens. But yeah. uh, I, I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be a good game, but I think Wake Forest is going to beat LSU in this one. Wake Forest is okay. really, really good. Uh, are we talking one-run games? Uh, I mean, I don't know if I, I don't know if I would necessarily get to that. I mean, that we're really pulling straws there. Is it a one-run game or a two-run game? I, you know, I don't know. I just, I think Wake Forest wins. I think it's going to be a close game. I don't think Wake Forest is going to blow them out like they did Alabama. But uh, you know, I think it'll be nip and tuck for a little while, and then you know, Wake Forest does enough there at the end, maybe wins by two or three. Okay, moving on real quickly, guys. Um, going around the sports world, I just saw this column uh, from Bleacher Report, and it caught my eye. It says, justice for running backs. And I didn't know this, but apparently uh, running backs are not a hot commodity uh, this offseason. Um, I don't know if you read the article, but apparently Zeke, uh, Zeke Elliott, Dalvin Cook, it says here, have been cut, and Aaron Jones has been forced into a pay cut. And Austin E. Killer uh, can't find someone as a trade partner. And Leonard Fournette and Kareem Hunt are right now remaining as free agents. And then I read, and it goes on to say, Shaquan Barkley and Josh Jacobs, who they say are two lead running backs, can't even get the money that running backs were getting a few years ago. Uh, what's going on, guys? Help uh, uh, educate me. Yeah, so we actually had a uh, extended conversation on one of the shows, uh, I think last week, maybe the week before, about it. It was right after Dalvin Cook uh, had been cut. And uh, we basically, I think it was maybe last Monday, because I think it was us three on the show. And we, we kind of came to the conclusion that the proof is that a elite running back doesn't really help you that much, like it, it, especially not on – on a on a on a top tier level, we were going through kind of recent Super Bowl champions and 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 what those teams did to succeed. And a lot of these teams have had very low paid running backs or running backs not considered elite. I mean, it's been a long time. I think the last time a running back won MVP in the Super Bowl was what Terrell Davis. Is that what we had yeah. had come to that conclusion? Like 90, 98, 98. Something, uh, yeah. something like that. So. Uh, basically, these teams are just kind of realizing that the running back, uh, you know, there's not a lot of difference in a good running back and an okay running back, or a great running back and a good running back, and 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 they can't afford in a salary cap league to be paying for a position that ultimately doesn't lead you to Super Bowl success. So uh, it's unfortunate. Also, the, the last part of it too is that these guys age so quickly. I mean. You can be in your prime of primes if you're at the quarterback position well into your 30s. You can be in your prime to wide receiver to about 30. There's various positions on offensive line and on defense where into your 30s you can still be great. But at running back, you hit 27 or 28, and most of the time you start declining rapidly. So uh, it is just such a, uh, a, a difficult thing to be a running back. You take so many hits and that sort of thing. But, again, there's a lot of evidence that suggests that 
running backs long term, there's just not a whole lot of value there. Wow, yeah, because that really is a eye uh, Because I grew up with the majority of uh, uh, NFL games being decided by running backs. Sure, and, and these running backs were not in their twenties when they quit playing. Uh, they were still uh, probably in their late thirties. I'm talking about people like Jim Brown, Gail Sayers, Earl Campbell, Emmett Smith. Uh, these guys ran and ran and ran, and they didn't stop. When they were like thirty or thirty-one years old, they they went on to the mid late thirties. What what explains that change, guys, uh, in the, those kinds of running backs? And now they're not as prevalent. Yeah. So, couple things. One, I mean, the injury stuff is, is happening more and more. I mean these these collisions are these guys hit harder and and they're more physical. I mean, you're talking about a whole generation that has benched and done all these workouts from a very young age to kind of equip you to be uh, special in that sport where, as you know, that didn't always happen in the past. Uh, it doesn't mean that some people didn't do it, but the physicality, I feel, uh, is even higher up because of the athleticism. Uh, and then secondly, you know, I, I think that just practically with how the game has evolved, uh, it's just it's it's so quarterback oriented now, and and passing has been perfected in a way in which it has just become harder to stop great passers than it is great runners. And when offenses were not spread out in the seventies and eighties and that sort of thing, you know, you really needed someone to be a little extra special in between the tackle and make a few more guys miss and and run a little faster and all that sort of thing. But now. Uh, it, it has just become such a clear advantage to be a great passing team that, that that's the focus and priority for these teams. And, and again, given the success of these great quarterbacks and, and these teams that win the Super Bowl, I mean, that's again, that's been fleshed out at the highest level of the league. So I think those two would be the main contributors. Well, okay, well, I kind of miss those running backs. But uh, moving on, um, let's talk some money. Have you guys by chance seen – the Matt Damon and Ben Affleck movie Air. Uh, I don't think so. I have not. It is worth watching. It is really good. It's well acted. And in fact, Roger Man's the audience gave it 97, 98%. But I mention that because, uh, again, this comes from Bleacher Report. They have some good stuff on here. It's entitled The All Time Big Fumble. And they're talking about, I didn't even know this, but Michael Jordan's two of his sneakers uh, went on auction last week. Did you know about that? I don't think so. Well, uh, sit down and grab on to your chair handles because one of his Air Jordan, they're called the 12s, from the 1997 flu game, sold last week for $1.38 million. Wow, that's almost as much as the guy won for winning the uh, U.S. Open. <laughs> okay, and they were game-worn. Okay, but we're not going to stop there. And you remember the movie The Last Dance when it came out? Yes. Yes. Okay, well, three of those shoes, yeah, three of his shoes, guys, have sold now for, get this, $2.2 million, $1.472 million, and $1.38 million. Now, here's the sad part of this, even we call it sad. There was a gentleman, he was a ball boy for the Jazz at the time, uh, and uh, Mr. Michael Jordan gifted shoes from the 1998 finals and from the flu game 
He just gave them to him. Why? Because apparently Ball Boy brought him some applesauce while he was struggling with the flu. Oh, wow. Now, now this is what he did, guys. The, uh, the, the Ball Boy, his name was Preston Truman, sold those tennis shoes, uh, those uh, basketball shoes, in 2013 for $105,000. That was the 12s. And then the 13s he sold in 2020 for 215000 Now, you think that's a pretty good deal, right? I mean, he got them for free, did he? Right. No. He got had. He got punked. He cashed out those two priceless items for $3.3 million less than they resold for. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely rough, but uh, I don't know. They resold for $3.3 million, and that's all that he had gotten from them. Well, the story continues. Apparently, he has decided that he's filed a lawsuit against the auction house for stiffing, as he says, I guess stiffing him. Oh, okay. I was wondering if his side of it, uh, if he was still like, oh, whatever. Well, no, apparently he's not like, oh, whatever. Yeah. No, I mean, well, what would you think, you know, if you thought you were getting a decent deal and then you find out, hey, they just sold those darn things for 100 times more than what, you know, the, the value really was, right? Yeah, it would be disappointing. Uh, it'd be frustrating. Uh, I guess seller's regret. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, guys, uh, that does it except for Mr. Thompson. Uh, what what kind of uh, odds are you giving us that we might actually land him and keep him? Uh, I don't know. I mean, if he's even, he says Auburn and Alabama are even. I mean, am I too simple to think fifty-fifty? Because I mean, that that's what he said this weekend is that Auburn has pulled even no. with Alabama. I, so I'll, I'll say this: I'll actually go better than fifty-fifty. I'll actually go sixty-forty just because of all the eye emojis that all the coaches were putting up, all the players were putting up. Uh, that leads me to believe that he may have said something when he was here that is a little more to them than, hey, I'm 50 50. I, I, I think he may have said something, and so I'm going to give it a little bit more than 50 50. All right. Talk me out of this. Tell me we're not being played. Well, and that's one of the things that we talked about earlier in the show is I don't know. Um, and because we asked how disappointed I'd be, and I said I would be very disappointed because it would feel like it's the same old thing that has always happened to poor little old Auburn trying to compete with Alabama for these five-star recruits is they, they lead you and they, they think that you're right there at it, and then they break your heart. So um, I, I don't know that we're being played. Hopefully Hugh Freeze and that staff are smart enough to realize that um, if that's the case, but. You just don't know. You don't know what these kids are going to do at all until they've officially signed their name on that paper. Well, has there been any sighting of any AU tattoos on his arms anywhere or legs? Lord, I, I don't know. Um, you know, we know that how what that worked out with uh, Reuben Foster. So I yeah, don't know. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm trying to be somewhat humorous here, but, you know, when somebody, you know, I can't recall an Alabama player or a Georgia player putting, you know, a tattoo uh, with that team's logo and then going to the other side. Yeah, I mean that's that's Nick, obviously. Nick Marshall has a Georgia tattoo. He's true. got the G on his arm. Okay, but he played for them though. Yeah, and then he played for he Auburn. Been, yeah, I know, but this was a guy who's never played. About, yeah, they recruit that has never team, actually right? played for that team. Yeah. That, and put, and put well, their, their, their their that team logo on their arm and then goes to the other side. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, he he was committed to Auburn, um, and 
and had a lot of friends. Him being here in Auburn, he had a lot of friends that played here at Auburn. He was committed to Auburn, and I don't know, whatever happened there with Nick Saban and them, they convinced him otherwise, but he already had the ink permanently attached to his forearm. So, don't yeah. know. Well, I'm just wondering if anybody, you know, uh, uh, seen any any uh, AU tattoos on their arms because that's a dead oh. giveaway. Uh, all I know is any time any of these guys like Perry Thompson pop up, any five-star that is committed to Alabama or looks like is, you know, trying to, you know, decide between Alabama and Auburn, I, just because of the history of it, Auburn fans are not going to believe it until it actually happens. Yeah, well, I'll wait until he actually appears on campus. All right, guys, thank you for your time as always that uh, you so graciously uh, afford me. So with that said, uh, stay dry, and uh, I'll see if I can find anybody around here who might know how to build a, an arc. So with that said, guys, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Until then, War Eagle. War Eagle C, appreciate that phone call. That is retired Ward AM Steve joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. We need to take our next time out of the program back with more of Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show right after this. Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. Want more Sports Call? Check us out online at sportscallauburn.com. Sports call on this Monday, Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaBoy, Tom Peavy, and Brandt Daughtry here with you as we're already over halfway through this Monday edition of the show. A little bit later, still a few more thoughts on recruiting and then also uh, some talk about the Atlanta Braves and just how hot uh, they've been and maybe a couple other topics. In best. Scorching hot. Yes, uh, red hot, unlike our area right now, which is flooded with rain. And that keeps temperature down. It does. And it keeps you very waterlogged. Well, you know, I mean, we've we've dealt with a lot of rain and some big booms of thunder, but uh, you know, here in a here in a few weeks, I'm gonna be down in Navarre, Florida and all that area, uh, on vacation for a week. And I mean they're getting tornadoes. I saw a video from San Destin today of a tornado on the ground. Apparently Santa Rosa had a tornado on the ground. It's like uh, I saw another picture somewhere off the coast. It was like a line of water spouts in the Gulf um, off of Destin or somewhere mm. around Destin. I was like, man, all right, just just get this out of the way and get on going before we get down there because I, yeah, I got I got some fishing to do. I don't want to I don't want to be standing out there in the storms trying to fish. Got got to move on from that. And uh, oh, what's that? The tropics are getting active, and now the tropics <laughs> are starting to get active. Yeah, like great. So it's it's man. I don't know why that's starting so early, but uh, probably going to have a hurricane Brett at some point. And let's uh, go. Hopefully that curves out into the Atlantic, but still too early to tell. Well, 
it, it's a long way away. I mean, we're long, talking a couple weeks. About yeah, well, yeah, about the yeah. time that I will be down at the beach. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, the the one thing that I have I, I saw that their forecasters were talking about usually early this early in the tropical season when they do form this is the time that they usually curve out back in towards the Atlantic because that's where the strength is right yeah. exactly now once you start moving on towards late summer and into fall is that's when they start coming up into the Gulf but so right now this early they they tend to go but now I've just jinxed myself and we will be well I was about to say the we will we'll be in Navarre uh, facing some something stupid, or either we'll just get canceled because we won't even be able to get causeway to the beach. So, yeah, the cone of uncertainty right now. I mean, it's still <laughs> that sounds like the name of a movie. <laughs> the cone, cone of, of uncertainty. uncertainty. I mean, well, because I mean, it's like it, a game show. This far out, that it's too. hard. It's hard to know. But yeah. this far out has it a little too uncomfortably west. It doesn't have the curve yet. But we'll see. Right. Again, long, long way from home. Anyway, we uh, we will continue on today with birthdays and sports. It's time for today's birthdays and sports. Good list of birthdays today here on June the 19th. Dirk Nowitzki turns 45, former four for the Dallas Mavericks. Nowitzki was born in Germany, started playing basketball at age 15, began playing professionally at age 16, so that was quick. Moved to America at age 18 in 1998. He was drafted by the Bucks ninth overall and traded to the Mavericks, where he would spend the whole entirety of his 21-year career. While playing for Dallas, he was 14-time All-Star, 12-time All-NBA selection and NBA Most Valuable Player, Finals Champion, and one-time Finals MVP. His number 41 is retired by the Dallas Mavericks. Yep, 15 years old, he began playing for Dush, which is German, Dush Jugendkraft Wurzburg. And yeah, that's, and that's why we pay you the big bucks. Yeah, I, that, I remember, I remember hearing about him back then. Yeah, that is a it's a German sports club. They have basketball, both men's and women's basketball, handball, tennis, uh, different things. It's called. Uh, it's actually shortened. DJK Wurzburg is where he started playing at 15 years old. Okay, big fan. Uh, Dirk <laughs> Go Wurzburg. Oh, yeah. that the old the old high school powerhouse, the pipeline. Yeah, yeah. Turns 45 today. Jason White. And I remember him turned 42 today. Former quarterback for the Oklahoma Sooners. Boomer. While while he was born in Oklahoma and played college football for his hometown Sooners, he was a backup for two seasons, winning a national championship, and became full start full time starter in 2003. In his two seasons as starter, he won several awards, including the 03 Heisman Trophy. Left Oklahoma as the school's all time leader in passing yards with over 8,000 yards and passing touchdowns with 81. After his college career, he retired from the sport, citing his knee injuries and did not attempt a pro career. A Heisman Trophy winner mm-hmm. did not have a pro career. Yep. Uh, attended Tuttle High School in Tuttle, Oklahoma. Go Tigers. Okay, Tigers. The Tuttle Tigers. Tuttle Tigers. Tuttle Tigers. That's love, great. Love some alliteration. Now, if yeah, if you're going to go generic name, they, uh, if you're going to go generic name, that's a way to save it. That, that now yeah. is solid. I like that. David Pollock turns 41 today. Former NFL linebacker and current broadcaster, Pollock was born in New Jersey and moved to Snellville, Georgia for high school. Shiloh High School, go Generals. Where he was a star (laughs) in football, basketball, and wrestling. Played college football at Georgia. (laughs) That's gross. Yep, that's what it is. Sick dogs. Where he was a three-time All-American, two-time SEC Defensive Player of the Year, and winner of the Bednarik, Lott, and Lombardi trophies. He left UGA as the school's all-time leader in sacks with 36 
Drafted 17th overall by the Bengals in 2005, but suffered a career-ending injury in his second season. After football, he entered a career in broadcast and became a part of College Game Day on ESPN in 2011. He is a member of the College Football Hall of Fame. David Pollock turns 41 today. I just remember the sack that he had against the sack and strip in the end zone against South Carolina. Um, he's, like, he's, he's just before I remember college. Oh football. man, I, just before I started, I, I'll find the video. He came around the end and basically met the quarterback face to face and sacked him and took the ball away from him for a touchdown all in like one fell swoop. It was incredible. I, I know my mom loved watching him. She was an Auburn fan at the time, but she did love watching David Pollock. That was my post-Georgia fandom days, but I enjoyed watching David Pollock because he was just that good. He was good at football, and he turns 41 today. And then Jacob DeGrom, speaking of injuries, turns 35 today. <laughs> Pitcher for the Texas Rangers. DeGrom was born in the state of Florida, where he was an All-State player in basketball and baseball. At Calvary Christian Academy in Ormond Beach, Florida. Go Lions. Lions. Wow, generic names today. It's all right. He played college baseball. Uh, at Stetson. Go Hatters. Moving from shortstop to pitcher as a junior. Drafted in the ninth round by the Mets in 2010. Made his MLB debut in 2014. Quickly became one of the best starters in baseball. He's been a four-time All-Star, two-time All-MLB selection, two-time NL Cy Young Award winner, one-time National League ERA leader, and two-time NL Strikeout leader. Would anyone like to guess his career ERA? I know it because I looked it up earlier today, and I was shocked at it. I was like, just it in is awe. Hall of Fame worthy if he could have stayed on the field more. I don't know if he's going to have quite the uh, the innings and, and stuff, but a career two point five three ERA for Jacob Degrom, who turns thirty five today. And those are the birthdays in sports: Dirk Nowitzki forty five, Jason White forty two, David Pollock forty one, and Jacob Degrom thirty five. Got a few minutes left here in the second hour of the program, so we'll go ahead and have a brief discussion uh, in the baseball world on the Braves. Um, You get a homer, you get a double, you get a homer, you get three hits, you get a homer. You said we were talking about the Braves, not the Thunder Chickens. (laughs) No, that's us to our opponents. Uh, I was going to say that's what happens. That will happen, just the other team. Um, So Braves have i think it's hard to even pick it guys not playing well right now like yes you talk about acuna two for 13 okay literally the the series before he hit a couple of home runs and and uh he's still hitting 320 something for the year i think i if you had austin riley as the coldest bat in the lineup right now yeah you would have that would have been a hot take but you'd be right because just by default, everyone else for the last at least couple weeks, and for some guys month plus, have been red hot. I think there's a stat out there that the Braves have like a, about a six ERA for their starters in the month of June, like right. clearly being affected by no Max Freed, no Kyle Wright. Sure. Shot. I mean, that's fair. And they've only lost three games yeah. in June. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Um, who who getting hot's your favorite of all the guys hot right now? What's the most enjoyable to you? It's tough to pick wow. between Michael Harris, who I think is the future of this franchise, yeah. alongside Acuna and Albies and the young pitching staff. But man, it's good to see Eddie Rosario crank it up. Yeah, it is. It's so fun when that guy gets going because he will just demolish you. It is insane how good he is when he's on. And when he, when he's off, I mean, he's going to hit about. 
240, 250. But when he's on, man, he's, it feels like he's hitting a home run every game. Yeah, I... Yeah, I mean those are the two, and I mean those are the two that have, that just had the absolute hottest bats. But uh, I, you know, I mean, I, I like Harris. I, I think I got to go with him just because he's so young, and he is. You feel like, uh, you know, the few, one of the futures of this ball club that can get some really good longevity out of him. Uh, maybe you can do the same out of Rosario, but I just I really like Michael Harris Jr. Uh, but I mean, pick your poison with that lineup. I mean, yeah, those, those two, but I mean. Travis Darno hitting moonshots. Murphy, um, when he's healthy, hitting them. Olson, this year, yeah. Olson, you know, we're not missing a beat over there at first base, losing Freddie Freeman uh, two years ago. I mean, Olson has jumped right in there and is doing his thing. So you'd really like to see Riley get that bat going, but man, you're just you're you're doing it all over the place. The crazy thing is, Michael Harris Jr. is doing that from the nine hole. He did what he did what he did this weekend with five for five yesterday, yep. um, from the nine hole. That's it. That's supposed to be your weakest bat is in the night is in that ninth spot. But I mean, man, when you've got a guy like Acuna at the top, and when you're hitting that way in at the number nine spot to be able to rotate back to to Acuna, man, you're doing some really good things. But um, against the Rockies, twelve home runs, four game series, they hit twelve home runs, they scored forty runs. Uh, it's tied for the third most runs scored by Atlanta in a four-game set. Uh, that was scored 40 runs during a four-game home series against the Rockies in 2013. Um, they also had a 28-run differential, which is tied for the second highest in a four-game set in franchise history. Uh, they outscored the Astros by 30 runs in 2005, outscored the Pirates by 28 in 2021. Uh, they also set another franchise four-game series mark by hitting 15 home runs in that series against Pittsburgh. So, uh Man, I mean, they're just they're they're killing the ball right now, and when I say killing the ball, they're hitting a lot of home runs. But these are no doubters; these are not balls that are squeaking over the fence. Because this is another stat that you want to talk about impressive stat. And I talked about this one before we went on the air. The Braves have hit sixteen home runs over four hundred and fifty feet. Okay, no other team has more than six. They've hit 16 home runs over 450 yeah. feet. No other team has six. And it's, it's a bunch of different guys, too. Like, the most, several, but The most ever by a team is 19, and that was in 2021 by the Rockies. We keep talking about how terrible the Rockies are, but they hit 19 in a season. Right. In a season. And in Colorado as well. And in yeah. Colorado. The Braves have already hit 16. That's that's 19 in a season. The Braves have already hit 16, and we're not even at the All Star break. Yeah, no, holy goodness! It, it's been it's been incredible that there's also numbers on like batted balls that are like 110 miles per hour plus. Yeah. The Braves lead the world in, and and uh, for me, the the answer, uh, you know, I think Michael Harris has been so important because it was so bad for the first two months of the year. It was uh, in the 160s, I think. He was at 165 yeah. with a uh, .479 OPS on May the 25th. And so to turn around in less than a month, and he's almost 100 points higher. He's in the 240s now. Uh, he has well, – The he, 250s maybe. Well, all right. Now, so he was hitting 165 on May the 25th. Right. In 22 games after that, he is, he is batted 326 with a 978 OPS. Right, but I'm just saying that. Well, no, the what his total is short. I'm just, I'm just saying he's he, 
on tw- on May the twenty fifth, he was at one sixty five, and yep. he has hit three twenty six in the twenty two games after yep. that. And so it's good for two forty nine overall. Last seven games, fifteen to twenty seven, and yep. it's so important because I've talked about, and I wish we well, I only got like thirty seconds here, so I can't get to. I wanted to get to a thing about all these. Maybe we'll hit that in in hour number three, but. Again, these contracts that the Braves have given out, which are by all accounts so far every single time working out for the Braves and and looking just like steals. I mean, up and down the line, all these, Acuna, Arcia, now Harris. They gave one the Strider early on. There is a downside to it, and people don't look at it this way because a lot of these guys have been so such sure things. But what if Michael Harris just kept hitting 165? or kept hitting around 200 and never really got out of it. Then you've paid somebody double-digit million a year for seven years to hit 200 and end up kind of being a bust. And so it was important for me to see Harris get out of this because one year is awesome, but also once you go through the league once, they've got a book on you, they're going to pitch you differently. So if you can put together a second really good year, you kind of proved to me that you're going to end up being around for a while. But I've seen we've seen a lot of rookies look like they were going to be really special. Even Braves guys like Jason Hayward that looked to be at a point but never got above that point or, or maybe even declined in some forms or fashion. I'll tell you another one. Jock Peterson the other year for, yeah. for the Dodgers, when he came up, he was hitting home run every day. He's ended up being just kind of like an average big league player, even though he did help the Braves a couple of years ago. So, anyway, it's been very important for me to see Michael Harris turn around uh, to this degree. We are out of time for hour number two. Stay tuned. More sports call after this timeout. Two hours of sports call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now on this Monday. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Brant Dontry with you here. Coming up a little bit later in hour number three, the best and worst of the weekend, as we always do. But want to start out hour number three talking a little bit more football here and on Thursday and Friday Friday excuse me we uh, at length broke down the 2024 SEC schedule so we don't want to deep dive on it here again on this Monday but uh, Tom Peavy has not been on the show since the 2024 schedule was revealed Tom so what do you make of it for the Auburn Tigers uh you know on my there's a couple of things that caught me by surprise uh, the fact that Auburn's going to be playing Oklahoma uh, was a surprise. And now, granted, we knew it was going to either be Texas or Oklahoma. We just we didn't know which one. But from everything that you had heard talked about, everything, all signs seemed to point that it was going to be Texas. And I think most people had kind of prepared for that. But nope, it's going to be Oklahoma coming here. And to me, that's just cool. Uh, 
and it's something we're going to have to get used to, obviously. But anytime, uh, anytime you can bring somebody new into Jordanair sure. Stadium and, and first couple off, times, it's going to sure. be really cool. Yeah, show off the fan base, show off the traditions and everything, and uh, you know stuff that these the Oklahoma folks have never experienced here. And to me, that's cool. Uh, I also like the fact that you get them at home. <laughs> you're not having to sit. You know, while you're trying to build this thing up that Hugh Freeze is doing. At least right now, you're not having to immediately make a trip to Oklahoma or make an immediate trip to Texas. So you get them here. Uh, I like that. I also like the fact that they did keep Georgia and Alabama on the schedule. I don't like the fact that you have to play at both of them, but you know, you keep your two rivals. You do lose the LSU rivalry, but you knew there was something that was going to have to go away. That's just inevitable. With, with this whole new scheduling and everything, you're not going to be able to keep everybody that you want on there. Somebody's going to have to get lost in that mix. Uh, I think I think everybody would agree that the Georgia-Auburn rivalry kind of holds more than the Auburn-LSU rivalry, even though there is a lot of history between Auburn and LSU, a lot of great games. That game just – that's not the South's oldest rivalry. Georgia is. And so uh, to be able to keep Georgia on the, on the schedule, uh, at least for now uh, – you do obviously keep Alabama. You get Oklahoma. The one, the other thing that I like about it is, you get Missouri and you get Vanderbilt. So that helps. That balances it uh, out. And well, and Kentucky. Yep. Um, even though Kentucky is, they're trying to do some stuff. I don't know how much longer they're going to be able to hang on to Stoops before he jumps to bigger waters. But right now, Kentucky is. Uh, I, you know, kind of in the I, in the football world of things, I almost feel like Kentucky is kind of like that equivalent of Auburn basketball. It's like they've they've found a guy and they can they get on that hot streak and they're like really really dangerous all of a sudden. Uh, a team that had never had much history at all in their in their program have now become kind of one of those teams there. Uh, right now in the East, obviously that's going away by twenty twenty four, but they're one of those teams that you kind of look at and you're like they're they're dangerous. So. Um, I mean, it's uh, it's not. It doesn't feel as formidable as it has, and <laughs> when you're playing everybody in the West, you get two of the weakest teams in the East on your schedule now. So but, that so you know you got to take that. But I mean, you still got you still got the tough ones through there. Sure. Uh, let me let me say this about Kentucky though. Kentucky uh, football is is interesting to me because. No matter what it does, and this will seem disrespectful, but I'll explain. No matter what it does, it doesn't change my perception of their ceiling. Sure. Like, it, it doesn't change my perception of what they're actually capable of doing. They have yet to break through that for me. Right. They're, they're, I'm looking at Stoops right now, his whole time at Kentucky, which now dates back to 2013. I guess it's always dated back to 2013. It's just <laughs> it's just we're further away from 2013. <laughs> he didn't retroactively add a couple more years. Uh, 66 and 59 overall, Kentucky. Now some of that obviously on the front end. Most of that on the front end uh, being bad. But starting with 2018, 10 and three, eight and five, five and six in the shortened year. 10 and three, seven and six. So he's got two 10 and threes. But the thing about those 10 and threes are. There's still three conference losses both years. Oh, yeah. 
He has never had a team that has done better than five and three in the SEC. Right. And to me, that shows you the clear limitation of what is going on at Kentucky. Now, they're going to be an interesting team again this year. They're going to bring in Devin Leary, who is a hot commodity uh, as a transfer quarterback out of NC State. But it still feels like you can pencil it in. They're going to lose three conference games. Right. And so that that is different to me than having a Florida – or another big program, like if you had Oklahoma and Texas, which we know no one does, but just talking future. That, to me, is different because even though record-wise they might be aligning with those other teams, maybe even better in a certain year, like you know Florida's height's capable of a title. You know Oklahoma and Texas clearly at their height capable of a title. Hell, hell, even Tennessee. I was about about to say, you don't have Tennessee on that. You know at Tennessee, no matter what it is at that year, when they get going again, Mm -hmm. it's capable of going to a title. I just don't think Kentucky is. And and, and so there's a certain level of respect that you give to them because they have been consistently solid and that they've, they've batted above their history for a while here with Stoops. But there's also a certain ceiling that they have just right. never been able to obtain to where it makes me think, all right, well, you know, this will be a solid team. This will be a disciplined team. You know, it will be a respectable test. But at the same time, no, this is not something that Auburn can't handle or or should be fearful of because sure. this team has just not been able to get over a better than a 5-3 and three right. mark in the league. And, and that's why, I, you know, I mentioned them as just kind of that, oh, yeah, and there's Kentucky – they're dangerous, and, and I'll give them that. Uh, you know, they are not a team that, like you said, you think is going to uh, this year when you still have conferences. They're not a team that you think is going to all of a sudden surpass Georgia and Tennessee, or Florida for that matter. Florida's got a Florida's recruiting lights out at the moment. Um, you, you don't think Kentucky is that team? However, they're dangerous, and, and in twenty twenty four, you play at Kentucky, so they're dangerous. Um, they're very dangerous. They. Not a not a yeah not a championship caliber, but they're dangerous. Uh, but again, everything that you just mentioned almost makes me wonder how much longer they can hold on to uh, Mark Stoops because you would think he also understands the ceiling at yeah. Kentucky, and it, this is a guy that wants to win a title, and I think he realizes that at Kentucky that's not going to happen. It, it's it, as much as you do and as good as you do at Kentucky, it, the ceiling is what it is. It's just not there. Uh, it would be the same as anybody at at Ole Miss or Mississippi State when you start looking across. Yeah, they've had some great teams. Mississippi State was ranked number one in the country there for a brief period of time. They've shown that they can they can get up there. But I mean, what is their legit? What those two teams? I mean, their legit ceiling. It's like they're not ever going to get up above LSU and Alabama and really Auburn as well. When you know, once Auburn gets their stuff back on the right track, so. Uh, but just looking at twenty four, it's it's a dangerous it's a dangerous game, um, but it is a lot less than if you had a Florida or a Tennessee on there, along with Georgia and along with now Oklahoma and all that. So you got to feel a little bit better about your season or your schedule when you see what's on there. But you get, you definitely got two of the weakest teams uh, in the entire conference in Missouri and Vanderbilt on the schedule. I'll take it because the others it's a gauntlet. Yeah, uh, well and. And look, that that is still. I mean, it's the SEC for you. Where inevitably you're going to have something difficult. You're going to have uh, a couple of road games that are just going to be uh, challenging, no matter who it is. Sure. And 
Overall, though, I mean, I think that Auburn still comes out pretty good in 2024 sure. schedule. I mean, it is still, I think, at least one of the easier half of, of teams in the league, not calling it nothing in the SEC is easy, but the easier half of things. Sure. Um, even And that's, again, it's kind of a, insane to say that when you think, oh, well, you got Bama and Georgia on the road. Yeah, but everything else, everything else is on the on the, the better side of things. Uh because even like Arkansas, for example, at home, you know that that's a home game instead of a road game. You might rather play them than say Ole Miss or something like that. Typically, you know, yeah. You know, so I mean, we'll see. I mean, Pittman can reset that expectation if he has a, a big year this year. But even I would tell you, if they have a big year this year, I'm going to tell you that KJ Jefferson's going to have a lot to do that do with that, and he's not going to be there in 2024. Sure. So even then. Uh, you project projecting out two years in the sport even is dangerous. Yeah. Um, yeah. So with Auburn's schedule, that's one of those you look at, and it, it's very, very manageable. And if they can keep recruiting at, at the level that it feels like they well, they keep recruiting at the level we know they are, and if they keep surpassing even more, you know, if they start getting, if they start flipping five stars from Bama, and getting five stars that they would have not gotten in years past, and doing what it looks like they're doing. Then that schedule in twenty twenty four, excuse me, twenty twenty four is going to look pretty darn good. Now, go across the state. You're going to talk about somebody that probably feels like they just got kicked in the nether regions. Alabama schedule that's rough. And and listen, it's Alabama. As long as Nick Saban is there, you don't feel like they're going. They're not just going to completely fall apart. I mean, it. They're still going to get players. They're still going to be really good. However. Uh, they they have to play Auburn, who I think is on the rise. They got to play Georgia. They got to play at LSU, at Oklahoma, at Tennessee. Goodness gracious! I, I mean, that's a that right. If I'm an Alabama fan, it feels like the SEC just came up and slapped me across well, the face. Well, you say that, but you know, I I did this whole exercise. I won't go through it all again, but I did a whole exercise to try and come up with a formula to rank the, the 16 schedules in the league. They spit out eighth for me, which was right in the middle of the SEC. Auburn spit out tied for 11th, so Auburn's a little little easier than Alabama, not not marketably, but a little bit. So I still had seven more difficult with them than them. Which is again is shocking. Part of that is because you can't they can't play themselves. So all right, oh, that's sure. one of the toughest things you can do, and they don't have to. But yeah, that road schedule is 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 difficult. Oklahoma is still an unknown. They're you know <laughs> here here no here's why oh, no. there's an unknown though. Oh no, go for yeah, it because yeah. they had the worst season they've had in twenty something years last right. year. So Brent Venables may not even be there. Right, head coach he might not by the time they get to this schedule. And and look, it might be more difficult if he is not. Even if he has like an eight and four season this year, or nine and three, and he survives. Oklahoma, you would think, and you would expect if you were an Oklahoma fan, could pull somebody in that could get them good immediately. No. Right, I mean somebody because look, if if I will say this. If Brian Kelly, and maybe this is not a perfect example, but if Brian Kelly can get LSU in the title game in one year in this league, with, with, with on the heels of Orgeron starting to trend downward pretty clearly, if they can get in the SEC title game, then Oklahoma can find someone to at least get them back to a ten win team. Right. You know, I'm not, I'm Mark, not Mark Stoops. 
<laughs> Stoops that would part be dramatic. two? That would be dramatic. That would be dramatic. I have no I'd idea. I'd enjoy that a lot, actually. I, I have no idea what, what would happen there, though. Uh, well, I mean, we were just talking about how Stoops yeah. would, you know, potentially leave Kentucky because but he knows Bob's going to be like, hey, I know this guy. Yeah, hey, I've, heard, <laughs> I've heard of this guy. Which is what he did the last time. And <laughs> but, that but, well, <laughs> but no, um, you know, looking at the, at the schedules, you know, we're just talking about Oklahoma. You know, Good heavens! I mean, Oklahoma's one of the toughest in the league. Holy, yeah. they're the, I had them as second toughest. Yeah. Second toughest. Who's yeah. the first? I had Florida one, Oklahoma okay, two, Georgia look, three. I gotta look. Florida is, is yeah. brutal, and that's before you know we talk about it a lot. Their, their non conference is also insane. Right. Um, I, I'll, I've got Oklahoma in front of me right now. Um, the only reason that I may put Oklahoma ahead of Florida right now, and this is even without looking at Florida, is because it feels like Oklahoma is that team that's kind of trending down just because of what happened last year and i'm not sold that brent venables is the answer there now they could surprise me this year and be back to the normal oklahoma sooners but i don't know i'm not sold on brent venables as head coach um however let me rebuttal are you sold on billy napier i well no but I, but I, they're getting momentum now they're, recruiting. They, yeah they're gaining momentum um and now obviously also I have not paid attention to Oklahoma recruiting, so I don't know what's going on there. But it feels like, at least on the recruiting side of things, Napier and Florida feel like they're trending in the right direction. I mean, right now they're looking at one of the top classes in the country. Right. We looked so, at this, yet, uh, well, not yesterday, Friday. I think Oklahoma's having the Harson-Auburn start to their recruiting. Yeah, so, okay. I think they're in the 60s well, there you right go. now. They only got a couple guys. Well, there you go. And Florida is definitely trending up uh, in the recruiting. So – when you factor in all of that and you start looking another year down the road, you know, Florida turning up in recruiting, if they're able to hang on to the class that they've got and, and keep adding to it, you know, Florida's going to be have a very talented team. Oklahoma, maybe not so much. And then you add the schedule to it. Oklahoma has to play Alabama. They have to play Tennessee. They have to play their normal game with Texas. They have to come play at Auburn. They have to play at LSU. Um, they have to play at Ole Miss, which, yeah, yeah it's okay, tough. it's Ole Miss. But, I mean, you're talking about a, a a very proud team that is right now maybe trending down a little bit. And now, hey, welcome to the SEC. We're going to give you one of the hardest schedules yeah. you have ever seen in your entire life. Yep. Welcome Just to means the, more. Welcome to the conference, boys. Uh, go Holy through, crap. Go through Florida's real quickly just to see what you thought. I thought the ironic thing was that Oklahoma had – Arguably the toughest, at least the second toughest. And I had Texas as having the second easiest. So I think those two having very different welcomes and d- different right. experiences joining the league. I, okay, yeah. So, yeah. It, I, it sucks too, no, doesn't no, it? No, 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 no. No it, no, it absolutely does. But again, I just because of the way the two programs are trending, I've got to go over. But see, I don't, I don't view it that way. I just okay. view like who's on your schedule, like those, how those programs sure. are trending. Now, right. what might end up happening might be worse to Oklahoma sure. if Florida gets going again. Um, all right, so Kentucky – all right, LSU. LSU and Florida play all the time anyway, don't they? Yeah, it's typ- what, that's been the crossover. Yeah, that's been a typical crossover. Yeah. But you know LSU is, is definitely trending up. But you get them at home. Uh, well, Ole, yeah, yep. Yeah, in 2024, you get them yep. at home. Florida gets LSU at home. Uh, Ole Miss, we don't know what's going to happen with Lane Kiffin there. I mean, they're kind of one of those uh, – I don't know. I don't really don't know what to make of that. But you get them at home. You get Texas A&M at home. So you got that. Uh, you're I, at, quote, unquote, at Georgia. That That's still going to be in Jacksonville for, yeah. for all I know. Always neutral. At Mississippi State. Meh. That's their easiest yeah. game. Yep. Um, at Tennessee and at Texas. So yep. – 
uh, yeah, those two are those. You two share are, a lot of the opponents. I think you said I think Oklahoma has Ole Miss. I should have brought my my paper in here too, but um, it's it's very common or it's very yeah, similar. Yeah, Oklahoma is at Ole Miss, so that makes theirs yeah. a little tougher. Um, I. I th- does, I, does o- who's Oklahoma's weakest? I don't think you read the, the like the weakest team or two. Uh, Oklahoma's is that Vandy? No, Oklahoma Missouri? at Missouri. Um, okay. They host South Carolina, which that's another Those one. Those two are, like, the, are the two weakest. South ones, Carolina yeah. and Missouri are definitely the weakest on their schedule. For Florida, their weakest state, Mississippi but, State, and uh, Kentucky. Probably. Kentucky. So, well, who's better, Kentucky or Ole Miss? Who you take? Uh, I would say Ole head Miss to he- head is tougher to head. right now. Okay. Yeah. Well, because, I mean, look, the last three or four games for Ole Miss last year went one way. But right. the first, what what are we worth? The previous 24 games, the, the full season before and the first eight or so games of this season, previous 22, Ole Miss was top 10 in the country yeah. almost the whole time. Yeah. So, again, uh, well, is, 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 excuse me, is it sustainable? I don't know. Uh, easy right, well, for me to say, but well, so all right. So here we said the week. Right, we're looking at Florida right now. Yeah. All right. Their weakest. Let's just say the two Mississippi. I, I'll say the two Mississippi schools. Okay. Uh, or you can throw Kentucky in there instead of Ole Miss. Now, who are their Florida's most difficult? Right. Georgia. Georgia at L- Tennessee. Right. Host LSU. Right. At Texas. Yep. All right, those are going to be your most difficult. Oklahoma's most difficult. Alabama, Tennessee, Texas, at Auburn, at LSU. So, I think – so Alabama and Georgia are a wash. Right. Right. Uh, are they hosting Tennessee? Ho- Oklahoma hosts Tennessee. Okay, so at least you get them at home. Was get it? them home. But again, another right. well, and I'm now I'm going back to the trending. Yeah, we're thing. splitting hairs clearly yeah. already. T- Tennessee, but. Tennessee, another program right. you feel like is trending upwards right now. Right. You you give them another year, that might be very. Yeah, but daunting. also there's a scenario too, and worth mentioning that what if Hendon Hooker was a significantly huge reason of that, and that that's not easily repeatable. Very it's true. possible. I don't sure. know. I just we'll be able to tell more about right. him this year. But I, I'm just. I, Honestly, if I had to compare those, I think Oklahoma's schedule is a lot tougher than Florida's. Like I said, because I look at Florida's most difficult games and compare them to Oklahoma's more difficult games. I mean, Oklahoma has to play. They host Alabama. They have to play at Auburn, at LSU. They also get their game with Texas, who just annihilated them last year. Uh, And you throw Tennessee in there, too. I mean, that's... Yeah, just but Florida that still does a lot. That alone is, and again, is crazy. go through Florida's again. Uh, well, you get you get the neutral against Georgia, right? Still, it's still Georgia. You host LSU. Uh, still got LSU. You're at Tennessee and at Texas. So see, they they have there's Tennessee Texas A and M thrown in there too. I don't know right. about that one, but I mean, I feel, like, sound, I feel like A and M for the next two years is just the ultimate wild card. It, it sure, really, no one I mean, has any idea what uh, that. Team what is I'm saying do. is, you still listed four to five tough games of equal really equal significance and right. equal difficulty for both teams. Again, it's splitting hairs, but I, I still think that that top is about the same. Yeah. And then what I'm going with is that Oklahoma's got one more bottom-end game where Florida's second bottom-end game is is still more difficult than yeah. than than uh, what, what uh, Oklahoma's got. Yeah. But it's splitting hairs. 
And if you add the non-conference, which we're not, but if we were, then Florida just takes the cake because then they've got Miami, Florida State, and UCF. They've got yeah. one. Well, they got one yeah. group of five slash FCS opponent in Samford and everything else. I mean, look, I don't, I don't know if it'll be time in twenty twenty four to count UCF fully as Power Five because they won't have a full cycle of, of guys in the Power Five. But UCF already beat Florida in a bowl game the other year. Already, already happened. Uh, so if that's your third easy or your uh, second easiest game in conference or non conference play, that's concerningly difficult for Florida. Again, yeah. you, you, I mean, you're right with the stakes for Oklahoma. And trying to figure out who they are in 2024, and if they've got Venables or not, and or if they hire someone else. But I still think it's the same conversation for Florida because the results on the field for Florida last year were not good, and they still had a very high NFL draft pick at quarterback. Right. Even if he didn't play like that all the time, which he certainly did not, but someone deemed him a top five pick or six pick, whatever in the in the NFL draft, and they lost that. So they still have an important year this year where they can't just like meander and fall back another game or two despite the recruiting momentum. Recruiting momentum is impressive right now. I mean, they were, I think they were 11th when we talked about this last week and they've gotten a couple more since. They're probably in the top 10 now. Yeah. So they've got real momentum there. But they, the difference in them and St. Auburn is Auburn has not played a game to think negatively about them yet under the new head coach. Florida has had a season of negativity with that head coach. Sure. So that's why the recruiting momentum to me is a little different. It's a little more urgent for Florida right now because they've had a year of a pedestrian product sure. under, under Napier. So either situation, impossibly difficult almost. Right. Well, and, and that's the thing is, I mean – we're sitting here, like you said, splitting hairs right. over this schedule for for two years away. This season, this year is going to tell a lot. Right, it'll it'll change that equation. It, it, yeah. it will absolutely change that equation. Like I said, Brent Venables may not even be the coach next year. It might it might, it might be Mark Stoops, yeah, or somebody else. If Venables doesn't get it done this year, they're not going to hang on to him. They 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 will get no. rid of him just as quick as Auburn got rid of Brian Harson. If that program is starting to fall on hard times and getting left behind, especially making the jump to the SEC, they will they will get rid of Venables just as quick as they possibly can. So you don't know that. Auburn may come out and look like all of a sudden world beaters with you freeze in this. If this recruiting thing just keeps on going and they come out and they have a good season and maybe surprise some people, you start looking at 2024 and be like, holy crap, Auburn might actually be an actual title contender if they can keep what they're doing going. In the meantime, Alabama slipped a little bit last year. I don't think they're going to slip this year, but what if they do? What if, what if Alabama suddenly starts having that little bit of a slide and you're thinking, oh, Saban, you know, Saban has now hit the, the late Bear Bryant days where Bama started sliding a little bit and it's like probably time for him to go, you know, before it goes stupid. I don't know. I will I, never I, be. I will never be correct on that because I'm never going to have the guts to call that out. Oh well, no, yeah. <laughs> just I'm telling you right now. I don't. Well, every know. every time you fit, every time somebody says the the dynasty is over in Tuscaloosa, they end up winning the national right. title. I, I feel like so they I've may said, win the title this year because everybody's downplaying them. Oh, they're they're done. They're done. It's 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 all over with. No, they will turn around and win the title. I feel like I, I think I said ten years ago he's got at most five years left. I think that's when I started saying that. And here oh, we are yeah. a decade later. He's still there. And, and and look, I don't think he's going to be there for another decade. But 
you know, winning. Mm. I've said it before. Winning does not get old. Right. It's always fun, and as long as he can keep doing it, I don't see any reason right. why he would stop. But but and there's a lot of other factors with other teams. So what if Florida? What if Billy Napier and Florida fall flat on their face again? It's like, hey, yeah, congratulations on your recruiting class. You still suck. Right. So then that's not going to look, look as daunting in 24 because it's like, whatever. It's Billy Napier. They can't win with Napier. What if Tennessee falls flat on their face this year because that quarterback it was position, Hendon Hooker? Yeah. It was Hendon Hooker this whole time, and it's not the coach, and it's not anybody else. Just you caught lightning in a bottle with a really good quarterback. And then, as Brant pointed out a moment ago, you have fun projecting A and M a couple of years down the road. Yeah, I can't even project them six games down the road well, this year. I and, don't know. Well, and that and that was the thing, and, and that's the other that's the, that other cautionary tale when it comes to recruiting because we were just talking to a year ago how good A&M might be because they just had the – I'm using my air quotes here. So nobody can see me since we're just on the radio, but in my air quotes, Texas A&M just had the best recruiting class that anybody has ever seen, ever, 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 ever. They just signed more five-star players than anybody has ever signed. It is the greatest recruiting class ever. Okay, cool. Well, now the majority of them aren't even on that team anymore. They, they've been arrested. They've gotten kicked out. They've left. They've done whatever. A lot of them just so, left. Yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah. wanted out because they weren't so bad last year, right? And so you don't know what's going on. Can Jimbo, can Jimbo, and and that crew figure it out? I don't know, but that's that cautionary tale on the recruiting. I mean, sometimes, sometimes it hits. Sometimes you turn into Georgia. You you start pulling in number one classes and you start winning titles. Or or Nick Saban when he first got there. Struggled that first year, but that recruiting class was like, oh, goodness gracious. You know, that was that's not going to be good. And they started winning titles. You can say the same thing with Dabo at Clemson. I mean, it was a Clemson program that was kind of scuffling along, and all of a sudden you start getting number one recruiting classes and winning titles. Or you Jimbo Fisher and you get a number one recruiting class and none of them pan out or they leave and you're still trying to figure things out. So you just don't know. This season, though, is really going to be able to tell a lot towards 2024 on who falls on their face, who uh, exceeds expectations. Obviously, you hope Auburn is one of those that exceeds expectations because what I would like is when that 2020, when you go back and review 2024, is everybody looks at Auburn on their schedule and is like, holy crap, I don't want They got more difficult. I, I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah, absolutely. We need to take our next time out of the program today. When we come back, a best and worst of the weekend. You're listening to the Monday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. May we have your attention, please? Ladies and gentlemen. Can I please have your attention? We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Hi, my name is... What? My name is... My name is... Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. I'm Britt Bowen, voice of Auburn women's basketball and Auburn softball. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Brant Dontry with you here on this Monday, starting to wind down the first show of a new week. Let's get to, as we do each and every Monday, what to watch for, or excuse me, not yeah, the what to watch for, best and worst of the weekend. So, I'm already trying to get us out of here on a uh, Monday. Man. No more shows. Uh. Best Who needs the best and worst when we got a TV guide to get right, to? Right. <laughs> best and worst of the weekend. Now, time for the best Woo-hoo! and worst. No! 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 Of the weekend. Let's start negative this week because there's a. Or do you want to end on that? Is that like a subtly funny way, even though it's, a, even gonna, though it's clearly a worst? Well, since y'all know what my worst is, I'm going to end on that. Okay, best. Because I've got. Because I'm going to read. All right, best. It's, it's almost like story time again. Okay. Start with best, then. Uh, Atlanta Braves. I, I mean, holy goodness. Uh, Four-game sweep. You score 40 runs. You hit 12 home runs. Uh, 12 home runs in four games. <laughs> 12 home runs. Nuts. In, uh, and, and, again, and I mentioned it before, a lot of these are not just squeaking over the wall. I mean, these are just bombs. Um, Darno, Travis Darno hit one almost 500 feet. Yep. Um, Michael Harris Jr. hit an absolute bomb yesterday it was 460 something i think um like back in between the chop house and the bleach i dude that that braves are just so disgustingly good in that series against the rockies that's definitely a best if you like the braves right Uh, my best is gonna belong to the thunder chickens weekend practice i really think that we got better i think it was a lot of fun to be out there i think we're gonna you know what I think we've got a chance to win a game this year. Honestly, By I do. Like it's, it's, yeah. So we actually got some good players? We, yeah, I mean, we, for, for once. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I, I, think we've got, I think we've got a chance if things line up right and we do the right things. And, you know, was, was, was my guy from fire department out there? Or did, he, did he make the practice of Dylan? I don't think so, no. Okay. No. Nope. Um, but, but we've got some. I had heard that we were bringing in some guys that, I, that have some high school baseball experience. Yep. I think Colby – I think he went to Hazel Green. I could be wrong. Right. Someone went to Hazel Green that, okay. that we added. Uh, but Colby's a lefty, and he knows how to hit the opposite field. He did it with power uh, and got a good love. And we'll, we'll give you the full rundown. But, yeah, he, he looked good. All right. So best for, uh, best for the Thunder Chickens this weekend. Yes. Um, so that was admittedly going to be my best, but I don't feel like uh, – I'm sorry. No, it's fine. Uh, That felt like that was going to be my best. But I will go instead with primetime golf. Now, I want to be very clear because my worst – I'm going to see what you guys pick for worst. I know what Tom's going to pick. So I'm going to see if Brant takes my worst too, which is fine if he does because I have a backup worst. I did not have a backup best. Uh, (laughs) But my my best is – that the concept of major championship golf at 7.30 or 8 p.m. is great. And, again, I want to be careful because I'm not being supportive of everything in the U.S. Open this year. But um, West Coast tournaments like that in the summer, they just get so late. Yeah. And you usually have golf tournaments in 5, 6 o'clock here. But to go into the 7.30, 8, even 8.30 – time frame when you're kind of hurting for for new stuff in the summer there's there's more limited action there's really no collegiate stuff only only baseball here for a few more days and 
you just got Major League Baseball. You got some of the other stuff like NASCAR, which was actually off this weekend and all that sort of thing. I enjoyed being able to watch primetime major golf. So just the concept of primetime major golf, I enjoyed. That was my best. I, and, and I'll give you that. How We didn't even get a chance to talk about the U.S. Open, but I, it might be my worst. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just talking about how, to me, honestly, the U.S. Open was extremely boring this year. Hey, I was so bored with it, and I and I normally love majors. Um, I think it was a combination of the fact that it was on a, a not a historic course. They were at the Los Angeles Country Club, so it's the first time that's ever done a major. The U.S. Open, you usually think of Pebble Beach or you know one of those just like historic courses that is just like the you know kind of like that that ultimate of golf. It's like it's Los Angeles Country Club. It's like okay, cool. There's a lot of mansions of famous people around there. That was kind of neat, but it's not a course that anybody is familiar with. Um, so there's that aspect. And then the galleries were not very big. I mean, yeah. you think of majors, and they're packed in there, and they're screaming, and the roars, and, I mean, the intensity of a master of a, of a major. And you just didn't really get it. It felt like a, just a normal golf tournament on a golf course that you've never seen on TV before. And it's like, eh, whatever. Just, I don't know, it was boring. And then, and then on Sunday – it was just par, 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 par. It was like nobody could move except for uh, Fowler, who just kind of fell off. But, I mean, up there at the top, it wasn't a whole lot of movement. It was just they, they just kind of played their round, and it just stayed what it was. And it was like, Well, eh. you know, that, I mean, I, there's some movement, yes, but. Nothing drastic. Well, well, what I'm saying is typically with the U.S. Open, though, you don't score well. No, Usually yeah. par is a good score. And the criticism was – and especially in round one, that the scoring was too low, right. and that's why they toughened up the course over the the next three days, and the and the lead hardly moved. It was eight under after round one, ten under won it. Right. So they kind of corrected that in round one. So I'm not that was not my complaint with it because they did figure out how to make it tougher, and it was sure. running so fast. My complaint was, is this your worst? I'll, yeah, I'll go ahead, and, and then I, you know what? I'll get super negative and have a second worst. It's a, it would be a, a be a funny worst. All right, here's my worst worst of the weekend. Um, was that it didn't have, and you kind of skirting this a little bit, talking talk a little bit about this. It didn't have anything iconic about it. Right, like it didn't have anything memorable about it. Um, Wyndham Clark, who wins it, he hits this hook on eighteen, slice whatever that. It, it had a curve of over 120 feet. For, for those at home wanting math, it's over 40 yards. U.S. Open fairway should not be more than 40 yards wide, yet he still hit the fairway because that right. fairway on 18 is 53 yards wide, I think they said. So he hit a horrible tee shot on 18. Right. And was still in the fairway. And was still in the fairway. And you would think in a major or really any PGA tournament, you hit something like that, right. you're so far in the woods that you're never finding it. Like 18 is like the fakest tough hole at LACC because it's long, so you're not scoring well there because right. it's like a 500-yard par four. But there's nothing inherently difficult about right. it because you're going to hit the fairway and you're going to have a look at the green. And yeah, you might not get close to the, to the hole, but you're going to have a chance to putt because it's not even overly difficult to hit that green. Right. So it's not like, hey – Here's this cool par five where you can get aggressive and go for it, like at Torrey Pines. Right. We got the water front left. It's not like that, or it's not like Pebble. Where you're hitting over right. water right. if you're trying to get the corner. Exactly. It's like, no, here's this hole that's like pretty much a par hole. Probably not going to birdie. 
But as long as you don't hit, hit it in the bunker on the right. second shot, you got to par it. You won't bogey it either. So I did not like some of the ways the U.S. Open. And, and yes, I'm kind of particular about this. We always go to Augusta. We know what we're going to get out of Augusta. We know at the Open Championship, it's all about weather there. Like We know we're going to have Lynx golf, and we know the winds need to blow for, yep. for, for it. If it doesn't blow, then it's going to be low scoring. That's right. fine. We accept that. Um, the PGA is going to be overall like the best scoring major. There's usually not a lot of teeth in PGA courses, although this year there was. I mean, I think right. the winning score was like eight under this year. Right. Uh, but the U.S. Open has a, has a identity, and its identity is you will miss fairways, and when you miss fairways, it will be very pen- penalizing. Right. You have very thick, luscious rough, which they had in places, but it's going to be a tight course, and par is a good score, and right. you might win the U.S. Open at two under par. Roy McIlroy losing at nine under par was the best score to ever lose the U.S. Open. Right. Nine under was the best second-place score ever. Yeah. And so that that told you how easy it got on Thursday. They did a better job of making it tougher, but it was not – I know I sound particular, but it was not the right kind of tough. It was oh, tough yeah. for the sake of we're just not going to water this thing. It's going to be really fast. But usually U.S. Open is tough because of the course itself, right. not because of the way you treat the course. Yeah. So – Anyway, there's a spiel. There's my worst. Brant, what you got? Uh, my worst is also going to have to do with the U.S. Open. Oh, uh, boy. If you can believe it. Um, I saw, and this may be kind of touching on what you're talking about, Ryan, even if I have a little bit of a different perspective on it. There was a golfer who I can't remember who it was, but someone answered a critique that this car, this course was not hard enough and that these golfers were playing really well and that, you know... It, the, the complaint from fans was, oh, they're they're playing it too well. They're not playing it hard enough. And I, I'm, I'm sitting here as someone who is not a golf purist. But I, I would think you're watching the sport. You want to see these athletes playing it as best they can. And I under, with, with a sport like golf, where there is no one else out there preventing you from doing what you're doing, it is you versus the course. Is it not the best when the players are dominating? When the players are, oh, I'm supposed to shoot 72 on this course. How about I shoot a 59? Is that not the most fun type of golf to watch? And I'm, I'm asking you as a fan of golf as some, from someone who is not, I would think that would be the the most fun time to, to watch a golf tournament. So Tom can, Tom can agree or disagree here. We get that so often, it's not what we want in that circumstance. Mm. Because you play just about every tournament, you're going to finish 10, 15 under par for the win. You're going to be double digits under par. There'll be several guys double digits. So you get some of that pretty much every week on tour and in some of the other majors too. The U.S. Open is known for humbling golfers. And as a a golfer, I've not golfed in a long time, but, but as someone that played high school golf, played around a week for a while, it's it, it's nice to see those guys humbled every now and then by having to grind out for a par because these guys hit it so long and they're so good that they make almost every course look easy and again everyone's capable of shooting under par so it's nice to have a tournament or two a year where it humbles it's, them it, where it's a little different where. Yeah. Par, par as a concept supposed to mean like you're doing a, an average, you're doing a decent job, yeah, right? You're, you're and the expectation. And these guys constantly shoot five, six, seven under round right. after round. So it's nice to have a tournament or two, especially one that matters, where it's like, yeah, two under, it's oh. a hell of a round. Well, like you mentioned, Tory Pines. And, and 
you know, some of these courses are open to the public. And I mean, when, you know, the public for a lot of money, you can go play Pebble Beach. Yes. Now, they don't have it set up like they do for the U.S. Right, they don't make the the rough as thick and Um, tee boxes different. You know, Pebble Beach, Torrey Pines, uh, Bethpage Black, another very famous, super difficult course. Tight course, yeah, tight, so tight. Those are that. That's where the U.S. Open is supposed. That's that's U.S. Open. That's exciting to see those guys get humbled on a course. Like you said, you you miss the fairway by a little bit. You might not find your ball. You know yeah. that that type of that type of rough. It's like right. You get into the fairway, or you might not find your ball at all. It, it's somewhere buried in the grass, and you hope to goodness an official saw it because you may never find that ball again. My my last thought on how to explain this the best I can is: every week we see someone lose because they don't make enough birdies. Like oh, they made four birdies instead of seven. That guy just kept birding. This is the one time of year where it's like a birdie actually is far and away better than the other stuff and to where it's more about who cannot make mistakes rather than who stops taking advantage of the course. If, if 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 you can kind of think of it as when I'm shooting six and seven under, my mistake is I just made a par. It's like, oh, I didn't make that 12 foot birdie putt. I just hit 17 greens in regulation, but only shot four under. Whereas in a week like the U.S. Open, it's like, well, I missed the green 10 times, but I only made one bogey because I kept making incredible saves from the sand and from the rough. Or I made two 30-foot putts to say par. And that was that as a score concept doesn't sound like a lot, but when everyone else is missing those putts and missing those fairways, that is how you rise above versus, oh, it's, some, it's more so someone else not taking advantage of easy. If that, I hope I hope I explained that okay. But yeah, absolutely. All right, Tom, we're almost out of time, but right. you do have a funny, funny, not fun. Oh gosh, it's not funny. Yeah, no, it, it's it's concerning. But the jokes we made about this are just like, man, the pro, not on my to do list to do something well, like this. Go ahead. All right, so a massive search and rescue operation is underway in the Mid Atlantic after a tourist submarine went missing during a dive to Titanic's wreck on Sunday. Contact with small sub was lost about an hour and 45 minutes into its dive. The U.S. Coast Guard said tour firm OceanGate said all options were being explored to rescue the five people on board. Tickets cost $250,000 for an eight-day trip, including dives to the wreck at a depth of 12,500 feet. It's uh, over two miles. For over 2.6 miles, I think we said. Uh, U.S. and Canadian navies um, and commercial deep-sea firms are uh, helping with the rescue operations. Uh, Titanic's wreck lies some hundred, some 435 miles south of St. John's, Newfoundland. The, the rescue mission is being run from Boston, Massachusetts. Um, it's uh, believed to be a truck-sized sub that holds five people, usually dives with a four-day emergency supply of oxygen. So keep that in mind. This They, they went missing Sunday. We are now on a Monday. Right, 24 hours. Four days of reserve oxygen. Um, uh Amish Hamish Harding, a 58-year-old British billionaire businessman and explorer, is among those on the missing submarine, his family said. So basically, five people have paid $250,000 to now get stuck 12,500 feet below the ocean surface around the wreck of the Titanic. At least that's assuming where they're at. Um, So they're trying to find them before their four-day oxygen runs out. 
but the other thing is if they find them, they don't know if they have the option to get them out of the situation they're in. That's the other bad thing with this. So, yeah. It's dire. It is dire. Worst nightmare. Absolutely. I mean, these people are stuck on a submarine with no way to get out. And that's just the light side I was trying to make out of it's like I'm risk adverse. Like, I'm not trying to take a bunch of risk. And some people love that. It's adrenaline rush. I get it. It's fine. But things that can go wrong when you, the example I use, when you're in a vehicle. Well, you know, if a vehicle breaks down, you're just on the side of the road very mad. Something like that goes wrong. There's no coming back from that. Same thing with the plane. Now, granted, they break down far, far, far less. I mean, they, no, they have no. to, or else no one trusts them. It wouldn't be a right. service. But it's just like the one in one million chance. But when no it, coming back from that. But when it sucks, it sucks. Yep. And I also the ironic thing is you're so far down. You're two miles down. Yeah. There's no like you're not just a couple hundred feet down something like that's an exorbitant yeah. amount of the distance. Well, and it, to me, it also reminds it would be to me similar to uh, what you've seen with um, uh, mine collapses, where there's guys that are you know several miles below the surface of, of the ground in a mine, and you have a collapse, and it's like they're down there. We're trying to get to them, but we just don't think there's a way to get to them, and these dudes are just stuck down there until they ultimately pass away. That's awful. And, I mean, that's the situation you're talking about with these five people that are stuck somewhere in a little tiny submarine the size of a truck 12,500 feet below the ocean. If they survive, there'll be a movie. If they survive this, there will definitely be a movie. But but I I don't know, man. Not looking good. Not looking good at all. Real quickly, nightly TV guy presented by White Claw, Hart Seltzer, LSU Wake Forest, 6 o'clock on ESPN2, Jurassic Park 2 on Sci-Fi at 6.30, Iron Man 2 at 7 on FX. Also, Major League Pickleball, 8 o'clock on ESPN2. That will do it for the show today. Tom, thank you for being here. We'll see you again tomorrow. Yes, sir. And uh, Brant, thank you for being here today. We'll see you again later this week. Thank you for having me. That will do it for this Monday edition of Sports Call. As always, we appreciate all those that tuned in and called in. For Brant Dontry and Tom Peavy, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Monday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.